and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, we're joined by another special guest. So this week's guest is Simon Cardi from IGN, a UK podcasting favourite and friend of the friend of friend of the show, Joe Screbbles. Uh, that was a mouthful. I don't know why I tried to script that. And now I read it back and I was like, that's basically that's borderline incomprehensible. But uh, <laughs> Simon, it's good to have you. How are you doing? It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I kind of semi-asked to be on this show. So here I am. I'm here looking to have a good time and talk about lots of weird stuff. I just want to make sure that... Uh, Matthew has survived his Borgen trip without becoming embroiled in some sort of political uh, escapade. <laughs> uh, I, I am now the States Minister of Denmark, so um, that happened. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, I saw this sort of parliament building from a distance and then went to sit in a board game cafe because the influencers I was out there with, none of them wanted to go and see the parliament building in the cold. What a shock. Yeah. <laughs> Life's hard sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> so we went and sat inside and ate some um, rather average chips. Excellent. So that was, that was Copenhagen. Matthew, I had a question about the mashed potato photo of you doing the rounds on Blue Sky. So Matthew has now appeared on Blue Sky. Mr. Basil Pesto, as as expected. But Matthew, that f- you sent me a message saying I've eaten too much mashed potato, and there was a photo of you eating a mashed pe- potato. Do you have any more context to add to that? Uh, no, I know it wasn't. It, there isn't like a killer anecdote in this. I just ate a lot of mashed potato. <laughs> uh, we ordered a second bowl of mashed potato, and then I felt like I should eat it. So not to be rude, because it turned out we sort of maxed out the rest of the table's mashed potato capacity. So yeah, I ate a lot of mashed potato. It's it's not one of my best, <laughs> <laughs> but it was mashed potato this time. That's important. Uh, it was definitely it was um, it was incredible mashed potato. It was so creamy. I had to ask. I thought they'd put cheese in it. It had such a sort of dairy vibe to it. It was great mash. This is why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um reluctantly under duress from Simon, we're having him on the podcast. Um no, Simon, we're excited to have you here to talk about uh, remedy entertainment, which uh, I know is like uh, something that you're you're interested in and you know you, Absolutely. Yeah, so excited to talk about that. But as ever, we want to dig into your personal history a little bit and talk oh, about no. you since you're a first-time guest on the show. Um, you warned us you've made something like 4,000 words of notes about no, your life. I've, so I mean, you said 4,000. <laughs> I said I made some. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, I had to kind of memorise, well, not memorise, but kind of remember what my childhood was like because I don't think about it. Not that it's like full of trauma, but you know, I don't often actually think about how I started out with games or anything. So it was good to kind of reminisce about all the terrible games I played as a kid. That's good. I don't know why I'm busting your balls through. I don't know you, so it's not like uh, it's already good <laughs> I mean, form, we've met you know? once, but you know, you don't want to tell that story. So that's fine. <laughs> I just think there are, there are legal reasons that story shouldn't be told. Um, I mean, but... the nice version of it is we hung out in a cool cocktail bar in San Francisco with Josh, uh, Josh Sawyer from Obsidian. That's the yeah. short story. That's true. And then I left. Uh, very suddenly and uh, <laughs> we won't discuss why but uh, yeah. yeah but um, yes uh, that's a story for another day not to keep talking about this story that we're not going to tell I was quite <laughs> shocked when I was told a version of the story I was like what I felt like there was a whole other side to Sam I'd never seen or heard about <laughs> Yeah, people have so many thoughts now about what this is. Yeah, that's it. This is going to be one of the great untold stories of backpage lore. There'll be like a wiki stub for this on the uh, the, the fandom page for like I don't know two years until the truth finally comes out uh, when I uh, resign from the podcast in disgrace. But yes, okay. So uh, from there, then uh, Simon, uh, what's yes. your personal history with games? What are the first games you love, and you Ooh. know what what sort of like creates your passion for the medium? When I was really young, like my dad had an NES. 
or Inez. I, I've lost track of which way to say it now. Um, but kind of my first games were like, you know, Mario, Mega Man. I was obsessed with Marble Madness as a kid. Like, Ooh. played that so much. At probably like age four or five. It's probably because I could basically understand what was going on pretty simply. You suffered from Marble Madness. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I remember. I remember loving it but it getting very hard as with most games on that console did i think but i also remember being really obsessed and i never beat it with the hook movie tie-in game oh right. i don't know if anyone ever played that but it was it was it was kind of a bad action platformer where you played as uh peter pan and there was weird stuff going on again very hard <laughs> i do remember playing that a lot and i never really had a console again until the ps2 i was mainly pc for a good almost 10 years and it started out with like begging basically to watch my dad play games on the computer because I was too young to play a lot of them myself so I'd just watch and help I say help I'd barely probably help like complete like Monkey Island and all the LucasArts games like my dad played like all the point and click games did anyone here ever play Toonstruck? Yeah with mm, Christopher Lloyd yeah, I, I was obsessed with that as well as a kid. Um, that was a bit I don't know if for kids, wasn't it? It was kind of a little bit more like a slightly more adult Roger Rabbit. Yeah, which was already um, like quite saucy. Like the uh, <laughs> cover of it was quite terrifying, I remember. It's almost like, I think it was like this like horrifying looking like balloon animal thing. Um, was it like a clown sticking a pin in a in something's yeah, eye? Yeah, like a balloon. Yeah, like yeah, a balloon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was horrible. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I wasn't too young. I mean, I was probably still too young to be engaging in that. I was probably like nine, eight or nine and watching that. But um, This explains a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. I've, I developed uh, too young. You've got big Toonstruck at eight energy. <laughs> I, I know. I bet it's a miracle I'm not a Toon by now, really. Um, <laughs> You've gone full Toon. Exactly. But then, yeah, I also, like, again... Games that are far too young for you. Remember, like, at the age of 9 or 10 playing Myst, which is really, like, probably formed, like, my love for overly obnoxious puzzle games now. Like, right. if it's if it's a really, like, difficult puzzle game, like, I'll force myself to play it and to an extent like it, even if I know it's not very good. Um, mm. I'm still not sure if Myst is good. I think it is. I don't mm. know if it's just really up its own ass. I think jury is still out on that one after all these years, but like people cannot agree on Mist. If it's something that's kind of borderline pretentious, I tend to like it. I'm like the same way with films. I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna like this. Um, I'm still not sure. I had my dad like played all the sequels. There's like six or seven Mist oh. sequels. There's so many. You're our first guest whose parent was seriously mm. into games. Like a lot of people we've had. I think that's mm-hmm. right, Sam. Right. Yeah, I think that is right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. interesting. Do you know how your dad yeah. got into games? I think, like, he, he always liked computers, and he always, he always liked puzzles, so he was always doing, like, jigsaws and puzzle books. It's more just, like, puzzle games. He never, like, branched out from that. It was never, right. like, playing action games or, like, getting a pad out. Like, he'll, he'll never use the PlayStation or anything. It's right, right. Point, it's that, like, level of games, but... It was something that, you know, definitely influenced me wanting to play more games. So, like, I'd watch him play those, and then I'd play, like, Zumbinis, which is, right, yeah, yeah, Zumbinis is, is superb. Um, making pizzas and working out. That's, that's kind of like, I feel like my whole age 4 to 11 was just, I don't know if it was my parents doing it or me just subconsciously training my brain for logic puzzles I'd encounter in life. <laughs> but, right. um, <laughs> I don't know if that's helped me, but I feel like it did. But then, yeah, I kind of grew up a bit and would then have pocket money and go into game and game station and kind of buy anything I could in. Do you remember that sold out software range? Yeah, mm, of course. Like anything 
I think there was were they all five pounds? Was that kind of the the gist of it? I they think there were like, like two tiers. It was like I think there's a five pound and a ten pound tier for slightly oh, yeah. sexier games. I wasn't stre- I wasn't stretching to the ten pound. <laughs> that wasn't happening. Um, but yeah, I would just like literally probably every week buy a new one, no matter what it was. Just look at it and be like, oh, I haven't played this, and try it. Like some good games, and that's how I like played the first like couple of Broken Sword games and stuff like that. And they had mm-hmm. older GTAs, but then like I play Sheep, that sort of Lemmings game that oh, just yeah. had Sheep in it. I play a lot of Brian Lara cricket. Jimmy White's Cubal World, I lost a few hours to. <laughs> Played a lot of pool and sneaker in my bedroom at the age of like 11. We had whirlwind snooker on the Amiga, I think. Oh, I had that as well, yeah. I had the full Jimmy White collection. That's, That's the one which sometimes a face would appear on the ball, right? And it would like wink at you salaciously. I, I played a lot of salacious games as a child, is what, is, what, is what I'm finding out. You had the video game taste of a 45-year-old man at like the age of 11, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that right. I've always kind of been described as like a bit of an old man and a, a young person, but I'm not that young anymore, but you know. Just kind of always had that sort of taste. I remember playing like a game I used to love that no one talks about anymore. Is Freedom Force? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I know that like, game. Yeah, it's like a real-time strategy superhero game. That yeah, kind of had that Jack Kirby art style. Do you know there was a sequel to that game? Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't Free, play it. Freedom Force versus the Third Reich. Yeah, yeah. I never. I only until I started researching this. I only thought it was a one-off. I didn't realize they ever made a sequel, and it was against the Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd played it because that really would have fitted my vibe as like a eleven-year-old. You really hate um, Nazis. I mean, Ken, Ken yeah, that's the right. Well. That's the right side to be on. I didn't know that's a Ken Levy. The things you learn. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing that helped me play those older games was there was an older teenager on the tills in Game Station who. He must have been like 18, 19, but he, a couple of years prior to him working at GameStation, was the kid who used to be on the tills at my sweet shop at the top of the road. So I was kind of mates with him, and he'd let me buy older games than oh, I was allowed, nice. really. Amazing. So I played. Uh, I didn't really uh, take full advantage of it, because the one I remember buying is Gangsters Organized Crime, oh, <laughs> right, an yeah. IDOS strategy, like Mafia game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't go, oh yeah, I should be buying GTA or something really good. I was like, I'm going to buy the game that has like a mock-up of al capone on the cover yeah <laughs> I was incredibly dry management game oh it was probably so boring but i i have semi-fond memories it's one of those where i don't really have too many memories of playing it but i do know i played it for at least 20 hours and then like i said yeah i got kind of the ps2 and that's kind of where i really got into that's kind of where remedy come into it, and we'll talk more about that later with max Payne and GTA San Andreas were the ones for me that really kicked it in because I got a PS2 slightly late. I was so I was born in '92, so I got the PS2 probably when I was like 13, so not till like 2005, 2004 right. maybe. Mm. So I was still catching up on a few things I've missed on there, and that's where I kind of at that age, like 14, 15, was when I was really like into film. Like I think my first love will always be film and. As much as I love games, film is kind of what influences a lot of my tastes. And GTA, like Rockstar and Remedy, they were the studios I saw as at that age of like really doing cinematic games for the first time and showing how cinematic games could be. And I kind of since then have always like that's the those are the games I've been drawn to. I look for like tone and characters and story first. And I think Rockstar and Remedy kind of have that in abundance. And mm. those kind of those two studios are kind of intrinsically linked anyway in their history and it's kind of so yeah that's where it kind of went from there on all the way to kind of these days where red dead 2 is my favorite game of all time i think just purely because of that tone Mm. and that sense of cinema 
Mm. And, you know, I went to uni and played a load of games. Like, I was quite sporty growing up. I played, like, football and cricket to an okay level, but then I got to uni and just my PS3. I got a PS3 from my parents for getting the grades I needed at GCSEs to get into sixth form, and that was, like, the best day of my life. I was like, <laughs> I can finally afford this very, very pricey machine. Little did I know would not play the games all the games the xbox would play better but uh i got it <laughs> and i had a good time with it and it got me through uni and like i just think you remember like 2013 was a huge year for games i mean it's still my favorite year for games like, i only had like one lecture a week at uni for a long period of time so i had a lot of free time and instead of doing something more productive i like played like bioshock infinite black flag last of us gta 5 like nino cooney <laughs> A lot of Peggle 2. That's a good year. It was such a good... And Tomb Raider, Brothers of Tale of Two Sons. It's just a ridiculous... Papers, please, as well, I think. like It's a ridiculously good year. And, Ooh. yeah, that's where... And that's the year I graduated as well, and I kind of thought, oh, that's the first time I thought, maybe one day I could work in games. But, mm. yeah, that's kind of where that started. I never... Until the age of really, like, 21, 22, did I ever think that working in games was a possibility? Mm. And it still took me a few years from there. But, yeah, that's kind of... That's where my love for games started. It's interesting because you flip from being a sort of someone who just gets into games through sort of more mechanics-based games, I guess, mm. and then becomes someone who's more interested in the narrative, delivery, storytelling side of things. Do, do you observe that? I suppose I suppose you could argue Toonstruck is a, a narrative-driven yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, um, like, yeah. I think that's what, especially when I was really young, it was. Like, that's what drove uh, drove me to, like, Monkey Island and Grim Fandango was the story and the tone and the humour of those. But... Yeah, like, the puzzles were what, yeah, as a kid, it was more mechanics-based, and then, yeah, as I, you know, you get, I think, I don't know, not every teenager, but me definitely gets really into film and suddenly starts going, oh, yeah, I, I love Martin Scorsese at the age of 12, uh, and then you start watching all the films, you're like, yeah, I need a higher brow of entertainment, and that's where I feel like games were starting to grow up, and that's where that came from, so mm. from that point onwards, like, I still value gameplay over a lot of things but yeah i feel like yeah when i review a game or look at a game i'm like always like is that tone wanting to keep me in that world for Mm. hours and yeah i think that's how that developed i feel like i've got quite a similar arc in terms of interests like i was i was Mm. also started out with a lot of point and click games got into films when i was like a teenager i used to i just had a a incredibly embarrassing flashback to (laughs) endlessly bothering uh, friends with ideas that I, I my my ambition as a, like a 12 13 year old was to grow up and make a film of Monkey Island I thought Monkey Island was like the greatest story ever and should absolutely be on the cinema screens and was always bothering people with how I would turn Monkey Island into a film, which mm-hmm. must have been incredibly irritating to listen to yeah I think I did the same thing with Grim Fandango I was like yeah. this would be an amazing film but uh, yeah I don't know if I could do it justice. Go give it. Go, just give me a chance. I'll do it. <laughs> okay, good. The, the, the gauntlet has been thrown down. If you'd like to help Simon get that off the ground, please get in touch. Um, I'm curious. You say you got sort of pretentious taste, Simon. This sounds. This is completely out of the blue. You a big Under the Silver Lake guy? I bet you are. I haven't actually seen it. Oh really? So, okay. You know, I probably should, shouldn't I? Just to take that one off the list. <laughs> it does feel like the the sort of like poster child modern sort of pretentious mm. film in a lot of ways because commercially unsuccessful a24 andrew garfield in a kind of weird spell like to me it would seem like something that you'd be interested in but uh anyway sam's uh, so, whole ha- thing on this podcast is trying to get people to engage with him about under the silver lake and it not happening <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, i will watch it at some point and then let you know if i think it's good how about cool. that i look forward to hearing from you in the next 10 years at some point <laughs> that sounds good um 
so yeah you, you sound like uh, it sounds like it's quite late then before you realize you could work in games hmm. in some capacity or at least you know you start thinking about that sort of thing so how do you end up on ign what's your journey to that job oh so like yeah like i said it's not until my early 20s i thought oh maybe working in games would be something i could do so like i started editing video from like 14 15 at school i was lucky enough like my school had a big like media kind of background and i could do video editing from a really young age i've been using premiere for probably like 17 years now and like i just at that point i was definitely like i could be a film director and i had a couple of ideas and then it turns out writing dialogue is near impossible um <laughs> i just can't do it. i don't know if you've ever tried writing dialogue for a script or anything i i i barely speak like a human so knowing how other humans speak is impossible to me but still i carried on and i went to university of leeds and studied television production and thought, oh, maybe I'll go into like making music videos. So that was like they're kind of like mini films, and you know, I was looking at people like David Fincher and being like, he made music videos, then he made Fight Club, and maybe I could do that. <laughs> um, but then I kind of got big into like the studio production side and like directing and vision mixing. Which, if you know what vision mixing, it's like that big kind of electronic keyboard that people have that cuts between all the cameras on a live feed and it's mm. really intense but i really enjoyed doing it it was something like i've always kind of enjoyed the pressure of things and i liked doing that so i thought oh maybe i could do that in sports i always love sport or like live concerts like the people who do it are like you know like glastonbury on the big screens be the person who directs that that would be a cool job so i still wasn't really thinking about games and then i left uni and i went like a year without a job Got depressed for a lot, but we'll skip that bit because that's not the fun part. Because, you know, when a lot of, I don't know if a lot of people, probably a lot of people these days, you like leave uni and like, why won't anyone give me a job? I'm quite good, I think. But uh, mm. that happened. I had one freelance gig during that whole time, which when I look back of it is completely bizarre. Someone hired me to film the behind the scenes of one of the Pussycat Dolls music videos. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was like, that was like two months after I left uni, and I was like, I don't know why. It was kind of like a friend or a friend put me in touch and was like, do you want a few hundred pounds to film the behind the scenes of Ashley Roberts' new music video? And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they actually used the footage. I don't think they liked me. I didn't like I didn't like, And that was like what put me off the music industry. I was like, everyone in that room was horrible. I did not like they it. They didn't like you. How did they make it known? I don't know. They thought, oh, who's this like twenty-one-year-old who's turned up with his own camera? Who doesn't who doesn't seem to know what he's doing? <laughs> I don't know. They're all like they're all like you know music industry people like i don't know they're, they're pussycat doll vibes i don't know what that means but <laughs> <laughs> ashley roberts just turned to you and went i hate you whoever <laughs> that okay. is i hate that guy <laughs> yeah get him out of there but yeah i, I didn't enjoy that so thankfully i have to do that again but then kind of i still wasn't looking into games we'll get there eventually don't worry and yeah i luckily got like this six-week contract at a sports production company and ended up working there for three years in the end covering like I went to like Abu Dhabi to cover cricket and like did, I went to do like cover fencing Grand Prix in Qatar and weird things. Um, wow. So like I kind of was lucky like two dream jobs because I love sport. Like I loved cricket growing up. I still kind of like cricket and I even got to like work on some of the YouTube channel for Tottenham who are like I have a season ticket for Spurs. So that was like a dream as well. And then then we get onto IGN and I was like I saw a job advert go out for a video producer and I was like oh I'll chance my arm. I don't really think I'll get this. And then a month later, a couple of, what, three rounds of interviews? Was it two or three rounds of interviews? Can't remember now. And I somehow got it. And I was like, oh, well, that's a dream job. <laughs> Just <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> um, kind of like lucky. I feel like... I, you know, I know it's not all luck, but I do feel like I just kind of got straight to IGN. And everyone's like, how did you do that? 
I was like, well, I kind of started video editing and then applied for the job and did the... In- like, people ask me, like, well, what's the secret of getting a job in yeah. games or IGN? And I was like, I applied, did the interview and right. got it. I don't know. <laughs> like, that, that... I don't know. There's no secret. I don't I mean, know. That, that, that is one of the routes. There's, the, yeah. there's the sort of slowly kind of ingratiate yourself over several years by getting to know people and work experience and hassling. And then you've mm. got the just apply for a job and be yeah. really fucking good like us and yeah, get the it. weird things like i did listen to the ign uk podcast for a bit before uh, i joined and like kind of i didn't i didn't know any of the guys on it but like i had actually met joe about six months before was he in the fencing competition <laughs> he was he was doing epe <laughs> that, that feels like a big scrubs move <laughs> yeah but weirdly like it was funny my first day i jinxed i sat next to him and we reminisced about the stories that i was i happened to be at loading bar at Dawson the same night as uh, him and Gav, I think, and I like, no, I never do this and, like, Joe never does this, but at the end of the night like, we were both going in the same direction, so we shared a cab to Finsbury Park we didn't know each other, I was just like oh, are you getting an Uber? It's like, oh yeah, let's split it and in the back of the Uber I just, like, out of my pocket just offered Joe a Werther's original and he took it (laughs) from a stranger, (laughs) and, like, we were both just, like, on my first day, uh, I sat next to him and he was like, what is going on? (laughs) It's like the guy who offered me a Werther's original. Uh, now I have to sit next to you for five years. <laughs> I mean, my favourite detail about that is that you're carrying them around, like, as a matter of course. Like, I've not actually met anyone who's like, can yeah. I offer I you had... a Werther's original at this difficult time? I was just big into them at the age of, what, 25? I was like, oh, I just yeah. love a Werther's original. It's the famous 20-something shot uh, suite, isn't it? <laughs> like we've already established, I'm an old man. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, wow. um they are good though. Can we can all agree a Werther's original oh, yeah. is great, can't we? Yeah, solid. That's yeah, a solid sweet. I, I think my mouth is beyond Werther's originals now because <laughs> the temptation to chomp and that would mm. like that would just shatter my jaw. Like I, I know I've got at least three teeth that would explode on contact so, with a Werther's original. <laughs> and I can't trust is... myself to suck them. The secret is the soft centered ones you can get now that have almost like the soft caramel in the middle. What? So you, have you not seen these? They're no. like, they're like a Werther's original, but inside they have like soft caramel. So like, if you do get like a minute into it and you're bored, you can crunch it and not hurt yourself. I would argue it has no right to call itself a Werther's original. At this <laughs> point. I don't know what they call. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm not gonna. Werther's search. modified. <laughs> I can't remember what they call them, but they are good, and they're always like my go-to because uh, I get really bad like ear popping on planes, so I need something like a Werther's to suck on on takeoff. Oh, um, okay. That's there your story you and you're sticking to it. It's all right. You just fucking love Werther's Originals. I can't stop chomping on them. I'm just flying every day and I need, I need oh, yeah, Werther's Originals. It's like, oh, my ears popped when I walked down Bath High Street. Yeah. <laughs> I just walked downstairs and the altitude does it. Yeah. It's, just... it's what we said um, to Joe in the cab. It's like, I need these for my ears. So just yeah, like... we're, going, we're going up a hill here. Watch out. <laughs> High elevation in London. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's how I got to IGN. And then, yeah, I just kind of, I've been there for six years now, started out as a video editor, just kind of like cranking out videos that we'd make. And then, yeah, eventually started spreading out and becoming a writer along the way. And How, how, how does that work? Because I've always um, wondered this kind of, this, there seems to be a lot of bleed between roles that I do yeah. from, from an outside perspective. That's, that's the good thing, like you're kind of given the opportunity if you want to try something, give it a go. And it won't get published if it's terrible, but um, you can give <laughs> it a go. But of course, I'm British and they were like, Oh, we haven't got anyone that, to review FIFA 19. <laughs> so I was like, well, I feel like I can, you know, I've been playing FIFA since I was, you know, three foot high. I can, I can do this. So I gave FIFA 19 a go. My first review, it was, it was okay. It wasn't the best piece of writing. Definitely had a lot of notes and feedback on it, but I feel like it was okay in the end. And then 
I didn't really write for another year. I was like, I did. I say it did, didn't write. I did like little features, like I'd write scripts for videos and stuff like that, but no like pre big previews, reviews, anything mm. like that. A year comes around, they're like, do you want to do FIFA 20? I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do that again. Um, so I did FIFA 20. And then like after that kind of started really getting into reviewing, I just really enjoyed it. And then little did I know the next couple I do would be very tough ones to tackle. Like after doing two years of FIFA, I then did Dreams and Disco Elysium. Oh fucking yikes! Which are two quite complex, <laughs> two quite complex beasts to uh, to tackle. But I was like, oh, I can do this. And then like, I felt like you know I got in at the deep end. I was like, once I'd done those two, I was like, oh, I feel like I can tackle anything now, really. So yeah, I kind of developed myself as an all rounder. I've like always kind of felt like I've had a critical eye, like when I'd write about TV or TV or film at uni, but like never actually done like written an actual review before during IGN and then with you know the help of people like Joe and Matt Perzo IGN who are both like great writers you know they helped me along like kind of knew what I wanted to say and I've always had weird turns of phrase I like to put into things but you know people like that have actually helped me structure my writing and not use 25 words when I can use six and stuff like that mm. so yeah I feel like I'm kind of developing always as a writer because I kind of like so I've been editing for so long, and I still enjoy video editing. I always like talk about it being like a jigsaw puzzle where you can create kind of any picture you want from it, which is always mm. fun. But like, kind of, I've done that for a long time. So yeah, just always like trying new things, and that's what IGN gives you. And yeah, I kind of, I st- still get a bit of imposter syndrome. I think everyone does, but like, you know, like reviewing the last of this TV show, like, who am I to criticize Craig Mazin's direction or like to You're criticize? Out, yeah, I know, but like, <laughs> you know. Should. <laughs> no, I thought it was great, but then no, yeah. I, I, um, yeah. but um, <laughs> but yeah, I just yeah, yeah I've kind of uh, developed myself and got to where I am now. I suppose this might be getting into the weeds a little bit. When you're no, on a big review at hmm. IGN, you're like writing it, and and your heads and all that. Does your like video editing part of your role pause, or are you doing it in tandem? I've just always been curious. Um, I'm kind of doing. I'm if it's a big review, so like last couple of weeks I did Spider Man two. I yeah. just did that and. I would just be working on Spider-Man 2 review, basically. But I also edit my own video reviews. So I'm kind of edit as I'm capturing, I'm kind of making notes and editing right, in my brain right. as I'm capturing. So I am kind of video editing in a way, yeah, just in my yeah. head. But yeah, if you're on a big review like that, you're kind of on that. Like, and you'll help out with other features. Like, And our guides team is like huge. So like, you'll help out on like, here's some cool guides, things you might want to look out for. Or also like bear other features in mind as you're like making the review mm. so yeah like you're kind of yeah if you're on for example on spider-man i was on spider-man for the best part of two weeks which oh, you know nice. lucky playstation give you that time when yeah, a lot yeah. of other people don't so yeah yeah okay interesting so what are your highlights of being on ign to date do you have any world trip or interview oh, stories i think i, I, think I, I, think I have a few the th- i think the first time i ever encountered you was did you do uh, something that went viral with daniel craig is that is that oh right? yeah yeah, I've told ring. this story so many times, but I'll tell it one more time. It's um, <laughs> this is like yeah, this is the big one. I have lots of like little fun ones, but yeah, this is the one that people will bring up is yeah. So when they were revealing, you know, James Bond, they always make a massive deal of revealing the title of the new film and the cast. So for No Time to Die, I flew out to Jamaica for a day and a half, which was <laughs> exhausting, but also one of the best things I've ever done. So I get there, and then they're like, "Oh, ferry you over to Goldeneye Lodge where." Uh, Fleming wrote all of the uh, mm. stuff. It was incredible. Like, I'm, a, I'm a big James Bond fan. This was kind of like I was kind of like geeking out on all this, but also standing in this room with like all these like global news presenters, being like, "Why am I here?" I, I, a lot of these stories 
kind of revolve around me thinking, why am I here? But I was there, and they were like, it was the whole cast of No Time to Die, and I got there, had all my questions ready uh, to ask about this film and where it was going. Then I get there, and I'm like, oh, by the way, you can't actually ask any questions about the film or the plot or the villain or anything. So I was like, oh, um, well, that's all my questions gone. So uh, <laughs> instead... I happened to have on my phone from a few months earlier a video of me doing the James Bond gunshot through a toilet roll using a red piece of plastic as blood. Oh, um, <laughs> you just happen to have these things on your phone. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, do you know what? It was my backup plan. I was like, I'm just going to go for it. I can kind of do any interview I feel like now. So I've, I've gone through the gauntlet of showing Daniel Craig and Anna Darmas and Leia Sidhu. A, a 10 second video of me shooting through a toilet roll <laughs> and then going oh this is interesting <laughs> um so yeah i auditioned to be james bond and i still haven't heard back barbara broccoli the producer of james bond didn't really i don't think she likes me at all if you've watched that video she uh doesn't have much time for me <laughs> and i think that's only because um it was like a couple of weeks after roger moore had died or quite soon after roger moore had died and the person who exited the room just as I was going in to talk to her, had just finished, I think, a real, like, 10-minute, real, like, solemn talk about the legacy of Roger Moore, and then I come in and be like, hey, uh, do you think I could be James Bond? (laughs) (laughs) And she wasn't in the mood. But yeah, that's definitely... That's got to be the most memorable. But, like, I've done, like... I do like film and game stuff, which is great. That's that's the thing I love about IGN is like week to week it is different. So like I've been lucky enough to like meet some of my real like film heroes, like interview like Denny Villeneuve, Del Toro, Christopher Nolan, like uh, Steven Spielberg, which I almost Fucking cried. Spielberg, what's that like? What's it like chatting to Spielberg? Uh, uh, it was it was great. He was like the nicest. He really was like the nicest man. It was talking to like the nicest like uncle or grandpa in the world. He was just like, no question did I ask. And he was like, oh, why are you asking that? He was just like really really lovely and like i did a thing at the end like i don't i don't enjoy it's like people i really really love i was at the end like did a heartfelt like thank you for everything you've made they mean a lot to me and i was like you could tell like you know he he appreciated that i feel like maybe a lot of these people don't hear it as often as you think i don't know like a genuine thank you like they kind of mm. you know assume people like their films but that was cool like i don't know if you ever have you ever, have you ever done a film junket before like yeah, yeah, I have. I did. Uh, I did Prometheus, and Whoa. I did Fassbender, and Numira Pass, and I think that I think that might have been it for like the big ones. The rest were phoners, but yeah, that was mm. that was weird. It was quite quite few. They're like the most unnecessarily stressful experiences in the world. Film junkets, like you go to these big London hotels, and they make you get there like two to three hours before you need to be there. Then you sit in an hour, like an hour or two, in a waiting room with like loads of other journalists, normally waiting for just like four minutes with someone, <laughs> and then you get like a maximum three questions, and you have the pressure of trying to get a feature or a news headline out of that four minutes. And yeah, like it's it's a stressful experience, but I do enjoy film junkets. But like game strips are definitely the more fun ones, and I do have a few of those as well. Um, if you'd like to hear them, <laughs> of course, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, a cool one was like getting. I'd never been to Japan before, so I got to go to Osaka for Kingdom Hearts three. Before that, and mm. I got there like as a as a producer trying to film stuff. And you get to the office, you get to Square Osaka, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait to film all this stuff. And you get there, and the PR's like, Oh, they won't actually let you film anything of the office. You can just film this cabinet full of toys. I was like, <laughs> Oh, cool. I've travelled all this way to film that, and what and like a couple of interviews. To be fair, but like I do remember just listening listening to Namura speak 
a lot of bollocks is what i remember uh, just like while well, trying to hear it through like the clanging of the amount of chains he was wearing on his trousers i <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you remember that um uh, interesting man um <laughs> Um, when your outfit begins to sort of impinge on the audio quality, you know you've got a problem. That's absurd. For Forza Horizon 4, we do a thing called IGM First, which is like, they're basically our cover features. We go to a studio for a pre-release game and like do loads of preview features um, for a game. And we did that for Forza Horizon 4, so we got to go to Playground. That was the one that was set in Britain. Mm. So it then, like, bizarrely just drove around the Cotswold for a few hours in a half a million pound McLaren, driven by Ralph Fulton of Playground, just chatting to him. Um, oh, wow. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, that didn't really... We did kind of make a video out of that, but it was more just, do you want to go drive sports cars around the Cotswold for a few hours? It's like, sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a nice day. Um fun. Yeah, I don't drive, so I kind of missed out on most of the fun. I sat in the passenger seat like trying to film while going too fast in a car <laughs> that was fun there was this massive i went to this one with joe actually it's a fallout 76 trip mm, to this was quite famous isn't it yeah like massive resort hotel in the appalachian mountains in west virginia completely unnecessary <laughs> just completely <laughs> unnecessary to go play fallout 76 for like three hours um but you know i enjoyed the axe throwing and like doing a tour of like the president's nuclear bunker it's where he'd go if there was nuclear war he'd go to this it's one of his options is going to this oh. massive hotel um it just had really did have quite cursed like 50s 60s energy to a lot of the staff in that hotel uh it kind of stuck in time a little bit um mm. it was it was a it was a fun trip and again completely unnecessary but i wasn't complaining um the <laughs> last one i can think of is and this is definitely one of those stories where i said oh, i'm just i'm not meant to be here i'm out of places went to a launch party for one of the nba 2k games in new york Right. I was there for like 30 hours in New York and I kind of went there thinking I could go there and capture some gameplay for a video we were going to make. We did these unofficial preview videos a few years ago that were kind of like meant to be like alternative, like funny takes on previews for games. I went there thinking, oh, I can go to this launch event and capture some of the game, get some footage and start writing a script for this. And little did I know that demo was actually released while I was flying there, I think. So I didn't need to even go there to do it. I could have stayed at home and done it. So I'm at this... (laughs) which I thought was like a preview event. Turned out it was a full-on launch party in like a small warehouse in Brooklyn with like full like NBA All-Stars like Kevin Garnett from Uncut Gems there. And I was just like, what's going I'm just in this room like... And then Travis Scott, the rapper, comes on and plays a show for 20 minutes. I'm just like, what, what, what's going on here? All while I'm like really badgering the poor PR like, uh, do you know if any of these consoles have HDMI out? I've got my Atmos here it's ready to capture. And they were like, oh no, sorry, this is just for people to play. And I'm like, oh, so I'm just kind of, oh. I suppose I should just kind of stand here and enjoy the rap music. Having, <laughs> having to work at a thing which is meant to be fun for everyone. I is, know. It's always tough. We did that. Yeah. We, had to, we had to film a thing on Xbox One with a, um, we'd been building up to this uh, Xbox One versus this NFL player at Madden, but we had to do it at the Madden launch party. And like the NFL player was not there to like work, you know, he just wanted to like, go and hang out with all his mates and like you could just tell his absolute contempt for us so <laughs> yeah yeah i was just yeah kind of like i gave up after a bit. i was like okay let me i'll just i'll just have a drink and, and yeah. <laughs> trying to put my capture kit somewhere safe and make sure no make sure an nba all-star doesn't seal my uh solid straight drive <laughs> doesn't spill, does spill punch into your atomos <laughs> yeah exactly you just don't want that happening but yeah that was uh you know 
it was a little awkward, but ultimately very fun to be in New York. That's the only time I've ever been to New York. I didn't even see the Statue of Liberty. So yeah, mm. <laughs> I need to go back. But yeah, those are those are a few highlights. So. You do get some amazing access on IGN. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just like you know, if, of all mm-hmm. the sites, you're the you're, you're going to be the one who gets like the best the best. I can't. I feel like I do take it for granted because it's kind of all I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You need to try lucky. working on the, uh, the the second best-selling unofficial PlayStation magazine. It completely <laughs> it resets your expectations. I'll be honest. I'll travel but, back yeah. in travel back in time and do an exchange <laughs> yeah. program to when that was possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Of all those, um, Simon, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to mm. probe you more about Kingdom Hearts. Is that something you're interested in before going on that trip, or do you just sort of go I'm... on it because it was a good opportunity? I'm not like a massive Kingdom Hearts head. It's more like um, Joe was there with me. He was writing about it. Um, I was more there as a producer. I had played Kingdom Hearts 2 and enjoyed it. I played like half of Kingdom Hearts 3, mainly because I just wanted to play the Toy Story stuff because I'm obsessed with Toy Story. I was always more in Kingdom Hearts for the weird Disney stuff than any of the actual Sora nonsense. I shouldn't say nonsense. People really love Kingdom Hearts, don't they? So You don't have to respect those people. It's a safe space. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, was, it was good to be like, I, I semi, I've kind of, you know, enjoy Kingdom Hearts enough over the years. But I wouldn't, you know, I would never say I'm a Kingdom Hearts fan necessarily mm. very diplomatic how's hosting the IGN UK pod going these days I, I listened to the sandwich special you did in 2020 <laughs> on your recommendation uh, it delivered yeah. many delicious horrors and a combination of words I wish I could get out of my head forever anal fistula um, which I didn't know was a thing but um, yeah, unfortunately was... now I do and it lives with me forever so um, yeah yeah like um, not every episode's like that but like <laughs> that is a particular highlight is yeah we just got everyone spent a year trying to get everyone sending their sandwich stories because that year we decided to do sandwich stories i think the was it the year after we did uh drowning stories right. um, <laughs> not quite dr- near drought funny near drowning stories was the requisite oh, uh, <laughs> there's some funny ones out there the sandwich stories are definitely funnier though like yeah the man who the unfortunate yeah. soul who ate a beef sandwich so large that it it ruptured his anus <laughs> was 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 one um my other favorite though is a low key one in that episode is the man who ordered a salmon bagel and just got some salmon poked through the hole in the middle of the bagel and presented it to him. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Um, it made our yeah. sandwich tails seem quite uh, vanilla by comparison. Very I felt tame. like, I can't believe yeah. we've wasted everyone's time with what is clearly just regular sandwiches. <laughs> no, all, they're all valid. They're all, they're all they're all good sandwiches. I mean, don't don't put yourself down. I mean, it's weird how that kind of cross section of seems to be UK's games media and sandwiches seems to be a very <laughs> a, a Venn diagram that crosses over mm. quite a bit. But yeah, it's good. I I enjoy hosting it. I kind of, I'm kind of envious of you guys. I love the draft format, and we've kind of tried to do our own sort of version of that a couple of times, but it's not as clean as how you guys do it. Because I listen to the big picture as well, and I get what you guys going for and you do it very well so there you go there's a compliment um (laughs) you don't just think we rip it off too much no 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 (laughs) because well it's not a rip of it because they're doing films you're doing games that's different yeah and totally different things yeah yeah (laughs) yeah completely different unique special it's we try and keep it fresh we have like we're lucky we can have six or seven people to rotate in and i try like i just wish we had more time to plan them because like we they're kind of like something we do for fun on a thursday or friday and put it out it's Mm. But, like, it often results into, oh, what we've been playing or what we've been watching this week. And that's mm. kind of the... The other thing is we can kind of cover anything. We're under the, <laughs> the US radar. Like, our US podcasts are more official, like our Beyond yeah. PlayStation 1 and stuff like that. They're more, like, scripted and, like, 
a tight hour whereas ours we can kind of just be like what the hell do we want to talk about we can literally talk about sandwiches for an hour if we want and put it out there like yeah. uh that's the fun thing about it i often find def- definitely with this podcast i imagine it's the same with yours though that like sometimes the more effort we put into something the kind of like less it seems to land like people see people seem absolutely fine just listening to yeah. about some new games that came out this week and that that's that's enough so exactly you don't want it too scripted you don't want to list like feel like you're listening to an article in a way do you, you want to listen to a chat of course and... that is definitely some of our episodes <laughs> uh, Matthew what are you thinking of there I'm curious like what what do you think was a bust that took loads of effort well like when we when we go like when we do like a, maybe a very big big series deep dive or whatever you know that that requires like a huge amount of prep or one where we've played loads of stuff and really gone in depth on like research or kind of recapping or reminding ourselves of something when actually people will settle for just some bullshit mailbag which is, yeah, yeah exactly which is like very low lift so i think it works because it's research yeah. but you can also tell you guys care or enjoy the topics you speak about you're not just talking about anything for the sake of it yeah. if you know what i mean uh, it's not like you're researching something for the first time you know nothing about and regurgitating yeah, but, yeah. how do you find changing lineup and like staff changes over the years you know you don't have scrubs anymore but you obviously had stretches no. where you had you know a, a kind of quite a fixed team and is that have you found that easy to sort it, of it, navigate it, kind of, it does change the vibe because you'll let i feel like we were a few years ago as a very tight group especially because we were in the office every day and we kind of were all best mates and then like the last couple of years you've had a pandemic which I don't know if you guys knew that happened. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but And then also, like, yeah, that rotation of staff. So we've had, like, a few new people in, a few people out. And, like, it's a different vibe. It's still, I think it's still a good show, but it's not that same, like, camaraderie to an extent just because you're not as good friends with the people because you don't spend all day sitting next to them. So, like, mm. you don't have the same in-jokes or, like, it's much more... It's a different vibe. I still think it's good, but, yeah, yeah I know what yeah. you mean, like... When Joe left, obviously, I was heartbroken because he brings a lot of, A, knowledge, and B, weirdness and humour to yeah. the two of our guys. But, like, we still have that. And jo- Joe yeah, leaving is, is not... never a good thing for any enterprise. No, no, <laughs> no it, it, it does hurt. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're still keeping going. I think we're hit episode, not that I've been there from the start, like, this week's episode, or last week's even, was 719. So it's wow. been going for years and years and years yeah i think my first one was 399 so i've been there almost almost halfway now actually but, yeah um, that's a yeah. lot of podding it is i mean it's just like we kind of really just treat it as a way of like having a nice fun chat for an hour every week because yeah. especially now we all work from home like it's just i get to talk to like matt and dale and people about games for an hour when we don't really you know i don't just jump on a, a google or a discord call and be like oh should we talk about what we think about spider-man for an hour but it's good to do it on the podcast a bit of fun mm. Mm. yeah absolutely so what have you been up to lately on ign Simon? what's the um, recent highlights for you obviously spider-man's the, the big yeah one. just reviewed spider-man 2 and gave the outrageous score of an 8 out of 10 to a great game uh people aren't <laughs> happy about that um uh, got my reasons read all the words if you want i'm not going to talk about spider-man again uh but yeah um yeah that was i i enjoy reviewing the big games i like i said i always kind of enjoyed the pressure of, of of work and stuff like that so um recently as well we went to and we'll go into this in a bit did bit one another one of our IGN first in september on alan wake 2 and we did a lot of cool preview and behind the scenes stuff me and matt perslow did that and me and matt also worked on uh what i think is a great video called how the playstation changed everything 
if you haven't mm. seen that. I think listeners of this podcast will enjoy that one a lot. It's like a fun nostalgia piece where we interviewed Sean Layden and Andrew House about how the PlayStation, the, the launch of the original PlayStation in the 90s, and how it kind of shifted uh, the games landscape and all the games of that. It's, it's a really cool thing, I think. And then, I don't know, there's sort of like stuff I'm more behind the scenes proud of that I think people don't realise. So my role, like I'm technically still a producer. Like I'm not all like, you know, the highlights you see, like my name on on site are like articles and stuff like that. But there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Like, for example, Gamescom, like it's a huge IGN operation. I think like people who join IGN don't realize how much work we put in until you're like behind the scenes on a big show like that or like Summer mm. Games Fest or something like that like we send like 50 odd staff to Gamescom mm. a- every year for production and like for the last couple of years I've been content producing it so for like the six week that's why like during summer I don't really tend to write or make videos much because I'm spending six weeks prepping for Gamescom which is basically me and like one or two others emailing and having meetings with almost like every european pr and booking in studio interviews because we have four hours of studio show for five days in a row we have to fill in with studio interviews as well as i'm in charge of booking all our hands-on appointments for everyone um at gamescom so like there's just a lot of it's a month of two without much sleep as it bleeds into a lot of us hours but again i kind of weirdly enjoy the organizing things and the pressure of that but Hmm. Yeah, you also have to send all the apology emails of like, sorry, we don't have room. So I'm sorry, Sam, if we ever reject uh, one of your games. <laughs> it's not only down to me, but it w- it might come uh, from the you. truth will out. Matt Perslow came to see our game. I was I, I was did. I put that. that. I put that in. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, very. I was yeah happy to see him. It's all good. Exactly. All right then. Well, Simon, that was uh, a lot of great detail about uh, about your background <laughs> there. So so that sounded like a backhanded compliment, didn't it? I. I I no, mean, it was, it was but it's fine. I mean, <laughs> no, it's great. Um, the the story that really stays with me is you in being driven around by Ralph Fulton, uh, just picturing <laughs> you with a giant camera, just sort of like panicking, hoping the car doesn't careen when it goes out of corner. Yeah, or like luck. Yeah, I was trying to film in slow mo, which I realised like, why am I in the point of this car? Is it goes really fast? So I'm <laughs> in slow mo. <laughs> It's like, what am I doing? Yeah, I can't wait for when he does does that for Fable and takes you around the Cotswolds on the back of a horse. Yeah, <laughs> just shrinks me into the size of a gnome or something. Yeah, yeah does lots of farts. Sorry, I don't know. I just... <laughs> well, no, that's a perfect transition point for our break. So uh, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about Remedy. Welcome back to the podcast. So, in this half of the podcast, we're going to talk all about Remedy Entertainment's games, as advertised in the episode title. If you made it this far, well done. You got through. <laughs> you got through round one. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, it Simon. was good. That was that was quite a lively part one. Ooh. Yeah, I think people who uh, people who kind of know what the podcast is at this point expect a you know a lengthy preamble when we, especially when we have a new guest we haven't spoken to before. So uh, it's all good. So, Simon, let's start with that remedy trip you mentioned uh, for your IGN mm. first. What was what was that like? Tell us about that experience. Uh, it's great. It's, I'm lucky enough that's the second time I've been to Remedy, so I went there for Control as well, and it's just a really nice studio. I don't, have either of you guys been to like, like been to Remedy? No. no. Okay, so it's just outside of Helsinki in a place called Espoo and it's 
It's maybe my favourite studio to visit. Like, they're maybe my favourite video game developer, full stop, I think. So it's always a treat to go there. But it's a re- it just always looks like a really nice place to work. Like, has that sort of, like, Scandinavian, like, sort of relaxed atmosphere to it, I think. Everyone mm-hmm. looks like they're kind of chilled out. And so, we like, in true Finnish style, like, we played uh, quite a bit of Alan Wake 2 in their sauna lounge, which is, as advertised... A big, like, really nice plush room with a massive TV, really nice sofas, like its own little kitchen with drinks in. And then next door is an actual sauna in case you need <laughs> to sweat for a bit <laughs> in between right. playing. Like, I think it's mainly for employees. If like, I don't know, it's a really long day. It's like, oh, I need, I need a sauna <laughs> for a bit. But yeah, I've never worked anywhere that had a sauna. But there you go. Um, so you didn't have a Sam Lake bursting in and you were just in the sauna in a towel like, oh, no, sorry, no, no. I, sorry, I thought anyone could use it kind of situation. No, but it's yeah. funny you mentioned Sam Lake because I kind of, the first time I went to Remedy, it was for Control and he was he was writing on Control, but he wasn't like leading leading the project. And like I bumped into him in the kitchen making a coffee and like shook his hand and said hi, but that was it. Like we weren't interviewing him, weren't talking to him for Control. Alan Wake 2 is much more his baby. So yeah, we're just, me and Matt Perslow both in in remedy uh next to a sauna playing the game and then yeah like sam late just walks in not from the sauna not from the sauna no sorry right, from, okay. from from the off- yeah just <laughs> in a towel <laughs> uh no uh he just walks in and no matter how you try and shake it from your head it is just max Payne's face being really nice to you <laughs> i've met him like two or three times now in your head i'm like that is that is max Payne. Like that, yeah. that is him talking to me, and even like when we did the we did one interview of him, and like we were talking about Matt's pain, and he did the face, and I'm just sitting there like he's done the face, he did the face, <laughs> uh, he moved his eyebrows, and like Sam Lake's a cool guy as well. It's just like a really cool, relaxed place to work, and well, I don't work there. I'm saying that it looks like a cool, relaxed place to work. <laughs> I hope there's no horror stories, but yeah. Um, I've seen what we're this podcast is coming out on the day Alan Wake Two comes out, right? I haven't. Yeah had a chance to actually properly play the game like i played quite a bit of it when i was at the studio so i've played like the first few hours but like mm. yeah it's it i can't give a, a full opinion of that game yet but it was at least at that point shaping up to be very good so one, yeah one of my favorite things about remedy being are where they are is that there's an abnormal number of of non-fin finnish people who mm. know the existence of espoo Uh, just because we've been reading that word in features for so many years i doubt there's many people outside games who could could tell you of espoo's existence yeah there's probably a lot of like preview articles that have like opened with in a i don't know in a window pane studio in the town of espoo (laughs) what's espoo like is it like a city is it uh it seems like a little like suburban no, is it suburban? It's more like a I don't know. It's like it feels like a new town, like outside of okay, London. Okay, right. Maybe it's like I don't know. Is, it, is it Finland's? Yeah, like is it Finland's <laughs> Welling Garden City? I don't know. <laughs> is it? Maybe it's more like Guildford. It's got games there. Maybe it's like Guildford to Helsinki's London. Oh, I don't know. I'm not from Finland. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I hear it's very scenic around there, though. Like the journey to get to the studio. I remember Andy Kelly telling me about this when he went to see Control. That like mm. it's you see some beauty. I think like he mentioned like a frozen lake. He went past when he went there for example i mean i went there during summer so i didn't see that necessarily but there is a is nice and nicely on the coast helsinki is a beautiful place like there's this weird mixture of eastern european architecture but then almost like brutalist soviet stuff as well like because there is they're pretty i was wary of it when i was there like it's almost as close as you can get to russia without being there at the moment is Mm. in is there and like not that it felt all tense there but you know like it was like yeah 
it kind of had a had a little still had that so soviet vibe going on a little bit but oh. like uh, i'm into it mm. had some nice yes. food okay excellent that's good i'm glad we cleared that up but um no so remedy entertainment like the reason we want to dedicate an episode to them like simon says alan wait 2 is out the day this podcast goes live i know that um i've heard you know on the grapevine that code for this has been very very tight i think they might even have said this publicly but they've been working on it right up to the last minute so that's um that's the reason that uh yeah we we, simon's played a bit of it and can talk about it for this episode but otherwise it's uh it's Mm. not something that everyone has played yet and it's going to be a bit of a rush to finish for those reviews i think but yeah i think um i think they're like a games journalist sort of favorite studio because they are they're founded in the in the mid 90s they quickly pivoted into this sort of like zone of making narrative driven action games uh their first game was death rally which was not that that was basically a car combat game but after that they uh they spend many years making max Payne, make a max Payne sequel then spend many more years making alan wake which went through a lot of um teething pains for them to get get that to where it wanted to be and then um since then they've switched genres again to more of a sci-fi bent with quantum break and then um control is kind of like a new new weird game set in sort of like brutalist um office space a very different setting again and then alan wake 2 is a return to something that you sense is a is a real passion project for the studio so they've been um they make singular games and they've managed to retain their identity through some you know through some real ups and downs of the industry which is really interesting so where i wanted to start with was what were the first remedy games we each played i think this is probably quite predictable but i'd like to talk about you know our sort of like um our entry point for the studio so matthew start with you Max Payne was that your first um first yeah, yeah. interaction Max with Max Payne, you know, read the glowing review in PC Gamer and became instantly obsessed with the idea of it. I know I think we talked about this a little bit when we did the Max Payne did we do a Max Payne episode? Yeah, we did one two we did one and two and then we replayed three Play for three, episode. that was right. Yeah. This was at the time where you know, for me, any game that did bullet time seemed like the most exciting thing in the world. And the pitch that someone had done it and that, you know, all, all the language being thrown around it in the reviews, like that it was pulling from like Hong Kong action films and had all this like John Woo energy. And also it was really cutting edge. Like that's always been a part of their kind of DNA, which I'm sure we can talk about. But games didn't look much better than, than this in 2001. So it was just an absolute must buy absolutely loved it and and likewise with with two soon after simon what about you was this max Payne your first um your first entry point did you play this on ps2 at the time it was i played it a couple of years so max Payne was my first one but i was quite what it was 2001 max Payne came out yeah, like i was right. only i was only nine when it came out so like i waited a few years i was probably more like 12 13 when i played max Payne for the first time and i still thought it was great i thought the slow-mo was really cool but i don't think i was old enough to really fully appreciate it yet or what it was doing with like the noirness of it or the cinema of it all until i played it like a few years later after that and i had like all of the background in like more understanding of film and stuff like that like i just at the time i first played it when i was like 12 13 i was like oh it's cool being like you know doing all this in slow motion so i guess like the first one i was old enough to appreciate properly when it came out was alan wake but max Mm. Payne is the first one i technically played but i can't say at that point i was like yeah remedy are the best if you know what i mean yeah that Mm. makes sense I, i think i was about i think i was 13 when max Payne came out and i did play it on pc at the time and it was I think it was just, it was so stylistically different. First of all, it was like a third-person shooter on PC, which was like, 
you know, third-person games were maybe slightly more associated with consoles uh, traditionally at that point. It was the home of first-person games, so there was that. But obviously, the um, the sort of like bullet time and the precision of the the gunplay meant that it was perfectly at home on PC. It was just extraordinary. And the bullet time thing, yeah, like just it just it tickled that part of my brain when you know the Matrix. The Matrix was like still the biggest thing in pop culture, even two years later. It was obviously um, a massively important and influential film. So. Yeah, I was I was exposed to it first at, at that point, and it was immediately uh, besotted with the studio. Then, when I would say actually, when I became a games journalist, so Alan Wake was was something I was curious about. But I remember when when it got to 2010 and Alan Wake was releasing, that was when I I went through like a hard remedy phase. I played I played Max Payne one and two back to back. I hadn't played two until 2010, so it got massively into that. And I, Alan Wake just really struck a chord with me. I can see why why games journalists love their games they're just they're just so textured the way they kind of like use pop culture and some of the other stuff will go into but yeah that just i found that when i got to my early 20s in particular what remedy does in their games just really really seem to hit the spot so i think i went through a similar thing simon where you sort of mature into them a little mm. bit so remedy is a publicly listed company in finland with a lot of different dev teams but we associate the studio with this strong identity of narrative design distinctive settings and memorable characters why do we think they've managed to maintain that reputation throughout more than two decades in the industry simon i was curious what, what your take on mm. was on this i think they kind of they've always stuck to their guns right and they kind of have that through line of i think because sam lake's been there from max Payne onwards and he's kind of he's been involved in the writing of these games and they always kind of they all feel one of a piece despite being quite disparate in genres sometimes and but the one thing i do love is they're just unashamedly finnish as well like they're not afraid to be weird like in an era when outside of like playstation studios these days we don't get a ton of like premium purely single player like story driven games like they commit to that and they're always kind of pushing tech like i think matthew mentioned earlier like they're always kind of setting the benchmark for something like max Payne to this day still looks pretty good for a 20 year old game i think mm-hmm. and like control when it came out was like a ray tracing showcase like the reflections in that game are, are unbelievable and like even alan wake 2 now like i'm not sure i've seen a better looking game than alan wake 2 like especially in the dark place in this like haunted new york like the lighting and like detail on those roads and stuff it, it's absolutely astonishing so i think it's that kind of combination of pushing tech but also pushing story to weird places is what i think people are attracted to and not that they've ever been like critically like enormous like they don't sell millions and millions of games but like if you like remedy you're kind of always guaranteed to like something from their game i think yeah, mm. I think so. They kind of make cult hits, and then sometimes mm. they they break out a little bit. So uh, yeah, it is an interesting profile they've mm. they've accumulated. Matthew, how about you? What's your take on remedies like enduring success? Yeah, I, I, I'd I'd agree with that. I I think that it definitely helps that their their games are very journalist friendly. You know, like I I think that they've always been kept in the spotlight because they happen to make stuff which really resonates. You know, for basically for all the reasons Simon. They work in like genre, which loads of people like. They make single-player story action games, which are a bit of a dying form, but there's lots of fondness for them. They always push their own tech. You know, they look graphically amazing. So any one of those angles is probably enough to catch the attention of most people who write about games. Like I often think these games feel bigger 
in their like media footprint than they probably are like sales wise you know like they've never had like a massive massive thing you know they've always they've always done enough max Payne was like a massive hit at the time that was that was but i think that that is the exception so yeah yeah so you know and 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 so you can understand why that would establish them i mean probably for that reason i'm not gonna say they've they've lucked out in in like lifelines they've had from publishers and stuff but the fact that like microsoft were in their corner sustaining them you know with the alan you know the alan wake the, the length it took to make that game you know would probably have killed most most studios but having having them in your corner why 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 did what did microsoft see in them like i've never actually heard anyone from microsoft really talk about it in any depth but you'd think you know them being savvy would see that that, that their games do have this like this resonance they will get covered they will get talked about and that's kind of kept them in I, what i'm more interested in now is like this new phase we're going into because they're suddenly branching out into like multiple projects several of those are like multiplayer games which isn't necessarily something we we like associate with remedy um takes them out of their kind of comfort zone a bit i am super interested what like this phase two or phase three even i don't know how they think about it it's going to kind of play out yeah it's interesting as well because i think for a, a little while i think because max Payne was so cinematic and obviously the way that comic book panels were used were so notable for the time they've been sort of like associated with transmedia a little bit like the idea of you know branching out into having live action segments in yeah you know in their games or like you know full-on tv episodes in quantum break and you know alan wake being like literally tv episodes with like you know basically like a sort of equivalent of a closing credits with with music you know like a different um license track each time so they've they've been like associated for a long time with playing with the form of games i would say in the way that story is delivered and mm. it feels like they've entered this phase of maybe letting the game do the talking more narrative is like still baked into it but i don't think they're i don't think that the four the way that the, the narrative is presented is as wildly experimental as it was i think it's about like nailing the sort of whole package at once that's kind of what the perception i get from from where they're at now but um mm. yeah so, simon i don't know if you have a take on that about how they their relationship to you know sort of like playing with tv mm-hmm. or movie style stuff has sort of developed over the years yeah i've kind of i feel like they for one reason or the other went too far or when we go through their games to talk about it more but like quantum break was kind of a turning point of like did we go too far with putting tv stuff in this much and they kind of scaled it back with control in a clever way i think by like overlaying live action stuff over um some of the gameplay but also reserving it more to kind of what alan uh to what max Payne did uh with putting like you know shows and like weird videos on tv screens i've always enjoyed that sort of stuff and the way they play with meta in that way as well like the famous like alan wake bits of like you're in a video game and stuff like that i've always enjoyed the weird little things they do mm. like that but even like the way they like mix music and like having like poets of the fall in all of their games like being fictional bands like in alan wake 2 poets of the fall play uh new gods is it old, old gods of asgard um, that's right yeah they're they're in the original alan wake but they're also the house band for the chat show in alan wake too so they're kind of <laughs> right. incorporating them in like fun weird <laughs> ways like that even graphic novels you know that's where max Payne started out like it just this constant mixing of mediums yeah is always something i've been drawn to and the way they've layered easter eggs and nods to other games throughout their games and now gone one step further with this remedy connected universe of control and alan wake being an actual official thing it is just those two games because those are the properties they own and 
yeah, I think it's exciting where they're going. And the thing is, I can't really predict where they're going because I wouldn't dare predict where a Remedy story would go. Yeah, so that's probably a good transition point to talk about some of the trademarks we enjoy about their games, the, the things that strongly mark a game as a Remedy game and why they're they're so charming and you know why it makes them resonate with players. Poets the Fall is a good one. That's like, a, I know Sam Lake is like friends with the lead singer and they got brought in with Max Payne 2 um, to create the song Late Goodbye. So that was, um, that was the start of that relationship. And with the exception of Quantum Break, they've been in their games ever since. They play, their music plays a huge role in both Alan Wake and Control. And the Poets the Fall bit in Control is fucking awesome. I think most mm. people probably agree on that. And I think it's also the, the weirdo side characters. They like oddballs who you encounter along the way, memorable oddballs. That's like something that feels like they're they've maybe lifted from david lynch a little bit particularly in alan wake because obviously twin peaks is a really obvious reference but i think in general some of the like the weird gangster characters you'll encounter in max Payne, or some of the oddballs who are in um control like a, just that that cleaner guy for example just people jet the janitor just like odd strangers and sidekicks and things like that i think that that marks um remedy games in an interesting way obviously the in-game media stuff we talked about i think as well like they, they like they have signature big mechanics that drive each game so bullet time in max Payne's a really obvious one light and dark and alan wake uh, the emerging power set and control that really transforms the game as it goes um and another thing i actually wanted to raise as well is that i think that all of their games are kind of horror games in a sense but you're unlikely to ever describe them as such do you have a take on that simon uh yeah i do and up until alan wake 2 now which is firmly survival action horror i think like uh mm. i'd agree like their games up until now all have that sense of whether it's weirdness or unease like like, you'd never call Twin Peaks a horror, right? But it definitely mm. has horrific elements to it. And they've kind of, yeah, they have even, like, Max Payne is a film noir action game, but has nightmare sequences that are definitely delving into horror. So, yeah, I, that's what I've always been. I think, yeah, like I said, that mature element to their games, but also that childishness mm. to it as well is what draws me. It's just it's just kind of like a delicious combo that I kind of... It, it speaks to me. It's what I look for in films. It's what I look for in games and... Yeah, I'd agree. Like that unease is kind of what I enjoy, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Even when the genres otherwise seem quite far apart, like you wouldn't really conflate noir with horror necessarily. But um, yeah, it's something they managed to pull off. So, okay, well, that's a, a good point to uh, talk about their their games one by one. Then, so we're going to talk about most of the major ones here, and uh, then we'll get to um, Alan Wake two at the end, obviously, and talk about Simon's time playing that. So. Um, Death Rally. I thought I mentioned briefly their first game. Apparently developed in the basement of um, one of the one of the um, the, de- the devs when they first started out. Uh, yeah, like a car combat top down game. I played this on iOS very briefly. Um, it came out in 2011, and it was when I was massively into my remedy phase. I think I played it for about 40 minutes and thought it was <laughs> it was fine. Uh, Matthew, do you ever play this one? It's like micro machines with guns, right? Uh, basically, a similar deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Simon, I don't. I've, I've, I've... I've w- watched bits of it. I've, I don't think I've ever actually played it. It's like, like Mad Max Pain, essentially. Yeah, um, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I won't not. I am a fraud. I'm a remedy fraud. I've never played <laughs> Death Rally. Uh, not even... I think it was originally... Was it a DOS game originally, I think? Yeah, um, that's right. But yeah. yeah. Um, not not Dross. DOS. I haven't played it, but I feel I've watched enough of it to know exactly what it is, if that's not too harsh on it. I think that's fine. But obviously, real heads know that Death Rally is the, the best remedy game. <laughs> it is the best um, remedy what... game, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, so Max Payne 2001, I did a little bit of research on this actually, and I saw something I'd never seen before, which was a 1998 E3 
demo for this. I didn't realize quite how long this was in development. It's a long, long time. Basically, something I didn't realize about it. Well, obviously, Bullet Time was something they added a little bit later. They would retool the game after they showed this trailer. But something that's in there is that it suggested that the Valkyr drug that's um that's at the heart of the game kind of like weaves a bit of norse mythology into the game was actually like some kind of super soldier kind of drug and you see max Payne fighting this like enormous dude with like a tiny head and giant muscles and it said and it had like a kind of like government conspiracy angle to it that they obviously excised in the finished product yeah that was something i'd never seen before simon have you ever seen that before that video i haven't no and i want to now yeah, it's quite bizarre. Like a lot of the other Max Payne elements are in there, like the graphic novel stuff and things like that. But they obviously um, they did a lot of work getting the game right. I feel like we talked about this a little bit now. You can see a bit more of the sort of three D realms, Duke Nukem vibe to mm. those, some of those. It's it's much much kind of gamier. Doesn't have the sun kind of sophistication of the final thing. Some of those early shots. But it is also interesting that they they have had several times. It's taken them a while to kind of like find the game. A little yeah. bit. Maybe it's their process. I don't know. Maybe it's just products, you know, projects, circumstances changing along the way. But arguably it happens with Alan Wake and Quantum Break as well, where the, the final thing isn't quite what you thought it was going to be to start off with. Yeah, they definitely, they're not, they're not massively prolific considering how long they've been around. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that it starts just so early. Um, they did a lot of work to get New York right. They went on a trip with some ex-NYPD bodyguards, apparently, um, to take lots <laughs> of reference photos. And I'm actually like, I'm always fond of like media that's about that's like set in America but made either in another country or mm-hmm. you know just that feels like it's it's through a prism of like some other culture. Do you know what I mean, Simon? Do you kind of yeah, get yeah, that vibe? Yeah, I get yeah. that. It's like GTA, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. It's like all those games there. Yeah, they're through a prism, like you said. Hyper real. Yeah, absolutely. So Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne, 2003, a more accomplished sequel. Um, So uh, actually, uh, maybe it's a good time, Simon, to talk about the feature you did with um, Sam Lake, because I was about Mm. to cite something I heard in it, which is um, that he basically went to learn screenwriting. Is that right? And then came back and yeah. Between Max Payne 1 and 2, yeah, kind of put his own spin in it. So yeah, the feature you're talking about will be live on IGN right now. You can check out. I basically asked sam lake to pick one one favorite moment from each remedy game that he's worked on and basically unashamedly ripping off a youtube format there for for games purposes but <laughs> you know it works but yeah he basically went to learn screenwriting between max Payne one two and although they're not too prolific though they did kind of not rush max Payne two but it was out what two years later so yeah. it was quite a quick turnaround and i think you can kind of you can see a development in the writing like Max Payne 1 has more, it's much more, not a rip-off, but you can tell he watched a lot of films and wrote, like, like there's lines that basically sound like Scorsese lines from, like, Goodfellas. Like, they're, like, quite, like, I don't know, cliched gangster stuff. But, like, he's getting more weird with Max Payne 2, I think. Like, there's much more Lynchian stuff to Max Payne 2, I think. And the writing is more developed, and I think it helps a lot by the fact that Mona is such a great character unlocks so much more of Max in the second mm. one. Like, I went to actually ask uh, about Max Payne 1. Like, is this... Do you consider Max Payne a bad guy or a good guy? Uh, like, is this the first video game where you played as the bad guy? Because I think he is, to an extent... What well, He is kind of a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I think he is 
his whole thing is that once his family is killed, he's sort of like <laughs> he's beyond saving, basically, and it's just different yeah. degrees of, um, you know, the the whole as uh, Max describes it in Max Payne Two. He's just he's in like this perpetual state of um, sort of moral decline, basically, oh. and that that never really ends. But I actually like. I still, I mean, I just, I just love the character. I have a lot of fondness for him. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't really ever, I don't ever reckon with his morality much. Is mm-hmm. I find his how self-centered he is fascinating. Some of the bad choices he makes in Max Payne too, because of Mona and his obsession with Mona is, I don't know. You, you just, you just don't see other video game characters doing that sort of thing, or like they don't bother to exp- to ask those kinds of questions because they're such like trad hero journeys for the most part. But yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you have a take on this, Matthew? Oh, I, I never saw him as a particularly like evil person, just because he's fighting against such a blatantly evil organization, mm. and the circumstances of his life are, 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 are quite tragic. I mean, I definitely liked him less by Max Payne Three, which obviously isn't Remedy's entry, but that combination of kind of tragic life story plus like the the just the the bad hang energy of of a of a rock star protagonist makes it a lot less palatable there. I don't know I haven't thought that deeply on the character of Max Payne in 1 and 2. I always just you know just a, a sad man going <laughs> on some right rightful revenge. So mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. fair. I do think the Max Payne 2 does get the dream sequences right or nightmare sequences if you want to call them that like they're much more involved, I think, and much less annoying than in Max Payne 1 where you're just trying to balance on a red line that is far <laughs> yeah. too difficult. Um, there's some, some great nightmare sequences in Max Payne 2. And I do think Max Payne 2 is still my favourite game of theirs. Just, mm. I think. Um, I just love, I especially love how they use that fun house as a location and reuse it yeah. in two or three different fun ways. Like the first time you don't fire a single bullet the second time what you're setting off all the traps and then the third time it's on fire i think and it's just it's such a great use of like because these aren't long games and they don't have too many different locations they're kind of samey looking they look great i think but like it's not too many distinct locations but they managed to make this one location feel distinct three times i think is very clever and Mm. yeah just great great level design that's one thing remedy have always had as well there's always like their games always have i feel like that one standout level that like you're like yeah that was really cool or they did something i've not seen before and yeah, yeah. start i think it starts it starts in max pain one but two is really where that takes off i think yeah it's yeah I, I think one of the interesting things about them is that a lot of the techniques that really wowed in max pain one and more so two, like the dual character you know the surprise protagonist change at times and you know, like that theme part, you know, just having a surreal level for you to explore in, in, in several different ways and all the kind of in-world media, like a lot of that stuff is a lot more commonplace now. Like the Remedy's box of tricks has been kind of co-opted by so many other people. Like, mm. you know, we often talk about Naughty Dog and the kind of Pat the Ox phenomenon <laughs> of the non-action narrative set piece, which I feel like I saw like the first versions of those in Remedy games and now Remedy are competing with like everyone doing that. And so, you know, I, I am interested to see what, what what the next thing is. You know, like the, their their trademark is it's not tired, but it's it's definitely um a lot more overcrowded than it used to be. Yeah. I think I actually think like a lot of what they did was uh, partly pioneered by half-life that was one what was yeah, one thing but maybe, but the way, the, but maybe the third person perspective changes like your read on it 
Yeah, and the other thing is as well, like the the in game media element of it, and the idea of like invoking Lynch. That was more novel at the time because, you know, the the sort of like Twin Peaks revival movement that exists now, like millennials fucking love Twin Peaks. It's just sort of <laughs> it's sort of like probably more popular now than it even was at the time. Um, you know, enough popular enough for them to bring it back a few years ago. Like, I just don't think that was the case in the early noughties. I think a lot of that stuff, like you say, Matthew, was just super fresh. They were. Mm the way they were using that stuff was super fresh and also it was before like i think pop culture reference overload happened to a lot of media so that's that's a key thing the way they use the way they build their own sort of like in universe tv shows as well it's it's quite unusual i'd say that's where some of the maybe like their more specific finish sense of humor comes from too lords and ladies Absolute banger. <laughs> yeah. Well that was the interesting thing here is Sam Lake talk about in your feature actually, Simon, is he he seemed to identify the that the key moments were the same ones that a lot of people identify. Like that's what I kinda of mm. noticed is is that particularly his Alan Wake choice, um, which was the big um, concert battle. I think like that's what most people remember about the game. And it seemed like he seemed to have a similar fondness to what the what the players remember too. Last thing I'll say about Max Payne two actually, I th- I think it does it's really easy for you to pair these two games, Max Payne one and two. But I think that when you've played two, you remember one through the prism of two, and Max Payne's narrative is not nearly as in-depth, nor is the in-universe storytelling, any of that stuff. It's a really top-line version of what two does. I think people forget just how much more writing there is in two and how much more there is um, effort is paid to like characterization and and how the story lands. So that's my my last point on that. Anything more to say on um, Max Payne 2, Simon, before we move on? Ah, it's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> the shooting's great. Lots of good havoc physics as well. Just things collapsing everywhere. Oh, that's yeah. uh, that's real. There's good. one bit I distinctly remember this the first time I played it. It probably wasn't as revolutionary as I thought when I first played it. It's near the end of the game where there's you're just playing and the whole ceiling collapses around you. I was like, mm. this is this is cool. But yeah, yeah. big uh, big havoc physics time. The uh, and I like how it basically ends with like a Bond villain boss battle. Uh, it changes into a last <laughs> game and a different game in like the last five minutes, but I'm big into it. <laughs> yeah, and I I love that villain as well, mocking Max for being so miserable, and he's just <laughs> yeah. di- he just just die because he's so sad. I love that as a, a thing for a villain to say. <laughs> okay, so it's then seven years before Alan Wake um, releases and Remedy return. In that time, obviously, they step away from the Max Payne series, which has been sold to Rockstar at that point, and they have a bit of money to um, basically figure out what they want to do next. They pitch this game where basically a Stephen King style horror author's um, creations come to life to to haunt him in um, in a Pacific Northwest Twin Peaks style setting it's announced for PC and next gen consoles before Microsoft picks up the rights um, not too long after it's announced um, so a lot of people kind of like see this game in a 2005-ish time and then it's like a long time before the actual game emerges it is like touted as an open world game with a day and night cycle and they have a, a lot of pain in figuring out what the actual shape of it is before they come across this episodic linear narrative shooter horror action game it's a little bit um it's a little bit of a dicey journey but the resulting game it's funny actually i remember the critical reception to alan wake being like not mixed but i don't think people were not everyone was absolutely in love with it and then i feel like Mm. its reputation has exponentially grown over time matthew do you have a take on that after that long wait there was a sense of not oh is this it but sort of is this it you know like the the original pitch of like it was going to be a bit more open world feeling you could sort of sense a slightly troubled development in the, in the final thing 
where actually, you know, the bits everyone does remember and the stuff which really resonates and the stuff they've continued to do, it's a, a lot more authored. It's a lot more kind of controlled moments. It's set pieces. It's, you know, the stuff which is a bit of a pain is like navigating natural environments that are maybe a little bit too big to to like evoke the kind of horror that's meant to be taking place in them or i always forget does alan wait one have vehicles there is one sequence yeah right and that's like this weird hangover from when this was going to be driving around this kind of big mm. area and you know i remember the original pitch of the game and being incredibly excited for it so when it finally came out maybe maybe what i'm doing here is actually just projecting what i felt onto the general discourse <laughs> but i i remember being very very excited for the original pitch disappointed that it didn't look like they were going to make it kind of relieved that it then did finally then come out but was surprised that it, it was quite a i would say straightforward uh, horror game with some cool kind of interactive cutscene moments along the way so I, I was cool on it but i definitely when i replayed it for remastered felt that thing you just were talking about sam i, I definitely appreciated it a lot more the second time around maybe i just vibed with its pop culture references maybe i'd got over the the hump of expectations and knowing what it was going to be the the art of its interactive cutscenes and and being in this weird story and trying to work out what was going to happen next you know that that stuff is all great and i think if people were cooler at the time it was just uh kind of recalibrating their brains to like what remedy you're actually doing yeah also read that it just come out um <laughs> yes yeah. simon what's your relationship with alan wake it kind of came out of the perfect time for me i think because as 18 and a tv production student semi-pretentious tv production student, it was deep into twin peaks probably thought mulholland drive was the best film i'd ever seen at that point right. and did you get the twin peaks dvd when it came out yeah, like the big gold case. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I think I still got that somewhere. Yeah, and it kind of it hit on all those notes, man. I absolutely loved it when it originally came out, and I did play the remastered what a couple of years ago now, and I still love the story and the writing and the tone. I think it has like an almost unmatched sense of place that um, Bright Falls and the surrounding area, Cauldron Lake and everywhere around there. But I did, I did think it was a slightly tough hang in terms of gameplay and just doesn't. Like Max Payne and Max Payne Two play better than Alan Wake do, I think. And I agree. It's almost like that hangover of they want to make this really moody horror game, but our roots are in action shooters, and we want to still make this an action shooter, or that's what we know, so we're gonna do it. Uh, and it doesn't quite gel, I think. And just the waves and waves of these enemies and the gameplay that just. It's fundamentally interesting using the light to like burn away the shields and then getting satisfying headshots. It's kind of semi in between Max Payne and Resident Evil, whereas Max Payne Two, uh, Alan Wake Two, has gone like full in on the more Resident Evil angle, and it just yeah it didn't quite gel those waves of enemies. It just it it <sighs> looks it looks spectacular in a fifteen minute E three demo. Yeah, because I can remember when they showed the first proper bit of gameplay at E three thinking. Oh, mm. holy hell, like that is one of the best looking you know, if if this is how exciting this game is in fifteen minutes, imagine what the whole thing's gonna be like. And it was just that fifteen minutes. Exactly. Again. For ten out like it doesn't yeah. really evolve that game. Like you get the flares, yeah. they're fun to use a couple of times, but yeah, it doesn't evolve its gameplay. There are like I said, really cool moments. That concert that goes off and all the fireworks are shooting off and there's tons of enemies. That is cool if the rest of the game I think wasn't waves and waves of enemies. Like and like isolated, that is a great scene, but like you've kind of been doing it for six hours up until that point already the stuff yeah. i did did connect with most is the weird 
sort of like nursing home like um psychiatrist stuff which they kind of bleed into control a bit and that is where i like the the more horror elements of it because it wasn't really a full horror game it was an action game really like it doesn't have too many jump scares but again don't be too down there i do love its story i think very well written and still looks pretty good but yeah um mm. it is kind of i don't i don't i think it's their game that's aged the worst but still mm. is very good like i don't think they have a bad game but like well we'll get on to one that isn't quite as good in a bit but, uh, <laughs> but yeah i still i still love alan wake but i feel like maybe i've been spoiled by alan wake 2 now kind of fulfilling all the promises that were right. seven years in the making for alan wake one like mm. you can feel like alan wake 2 is kind of what they were going for in alan wake and now they have the tech and the time and the kind of experience in writing these and making action games to fulfill that finally and i think i still really admire the specificity of alan wake as a as a character as a as a world like it's it's you know it just at the time there wasn't really anything else like it i found it easy to celebrate because it was just such a bizarre proposition compared to other blockbusters of the time and uh yeah so i I do agree though that the mechanics it feels like a game cobbled together out of different pieces like it feels like it would maybe the light and dark thing would have made more sense in a day and night cycle kind of scenario where basically you fight until dawn in a very specific survival game kind of way and then like when dawn comes the monsters go away and instead it's just those mechanics never really develop that much it's just it's just relentless breaking the armor of enemies with light and then clearing out waves and waves and i think yeah that lack of a sort of like high skill ceiling and the repetition is is the thing that's aged it the most i agree with that the most challenging part of your game shouldn't be trying to find batteries Uh, (laughs) and that's kind of what a lot of that game boils down to is where are the batteries (laughs) yeah absolutely um so there is a a a semi-sequel uh to alan wake in 2012 alan wake's american nightmare aka the song that uh, sorry the game that makes you ask is the song clubfoot by kasabian actually a banger because i wasn't massively into that song when it released in the mid noughties but this game uses it quite well um this uh, this game this standalone game is kind of like three to four hours of new alan wake stuff and it doesn't really push the story forward that much, but I think it captures everything that Alan Wake does well in miniature, adds a few more mechanics. Alan's got this like drill um, sort of like attack in it. It's got quite a cool spin on um, on Horde mode they throw in there. There's also a, a couple of really good Old Gods of Asgard tracks in this too. Um, ba- I think Balance Slays the Demon is their best one, their best fictional Poets the Fool uh, song. I really love that song. And it did just remind me, oh, Alan Wake was cool and I really liked Alan Wake. But I don't think there's loads more to it than that. Simon, do you have a take on this one? No, it's kind of like, I suppose it's their first fully fledged go at live action as like full scenes. Like, mm, that's true. rather than like in world. And I do think it's kind of, it's got a cool looping nature and it kind of builds more of like, the hell that alan wake finds himself in of trying to escape this dark place and i don't know how essential it is i feel like it's almost semi-essential for alan wake too if you haven't played it at least to watch the cutscenes of american nightmare because like there's a key character called mr scratch who's this really like swarmy menacing like version of alan wake who features heavily in american nightmare and there's stuff with his wife that's like there's some really good story stuff in there i agree it doesn't really add much more gameplay wise to, to alan wake apart from the nail the nail gun's quite good it wasn't included in the remaster which is a bit weird no. isn't it you think yeah. they would kind of package it up maybe oh, but, that is um, weird 
Um, yeah. I did mean I did mean nail gun, not drill. By the way, that's uh, just uh, me misremembering there. But, um... <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't picking you up on it. As well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's essential um, for continuity. So uh, yeah, um, that's good. I'm glad you got slightly fresher memories of this one than me. Yeah. I remember like shortly after this being marked with. I think they did a weird Raiders of the Lost Ark ending style video where they were like. Alan Wake's going away for a while now. That's it. Um, and then it was kind of like they shut the door on that and moved on to something else. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to need a proper recap of what happened to uh, Alan Wake before I play the second oh, one. Oh, well, so, uh, uh, luckily on IGN.com as part of IGN First oh, or uh, go, YouTube, you can, uh, we got Sam Lake to recount the whole of Alan Wake's story up until Alan Wake 2. Uh, I asked him to do it in five minutes. He took like 17 to do it. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the whole story from the man himself is available. Excellent. I will actually ask Simon, this is a good time to ask, have you seen the slow jam video of Sam Lake talking about the music of Remedy on stage at some Finnish event? Have you seen that video? It's no, like I one of, That's one of my favourite Remedy sort of like artefacts. He's got, they've got um, their uh, their in-house composer whose name I cannot remember. Sorry, that's, um, that's me failing on my part there. But uh, yeah, basically the music of Max Payne, um, Alan Wake and quantum break and i don't think control was available at that point is all playing in the background while he's sort of like doing sort of spoken word kind of like <laughs> I do need to, i'm making a list of things i need to check out it's really good it's it's really like just it make again makes sam lake seem incredibly endearing um i'm <laughs> very fond of that video okay so after that uh, Mike, they pitch to microsoft and alan wake 2 and microsoft doesn't want that however they do end up um, teaming up with them for another project so next up in 2013 when the xbox one is revealed Remedy's next project is uh, is also revealed, and that is Quantum Break, a third-person shooter involving some kind of like time-based mechanics, but also having a TV show element attached. Very much felt like it was of the moment of this Microsoft push into entertainment that never really turned into anything, and it felt like in some ways Remedy was a great fit for this, and in some ways it felt like it created a bit of a rod for their back in terms of the game they would make. So 2016 it takes for them to... to to bring um, bring this game to market and at that point it's changed protagonist a little bit they've hired sean ashmore as the the main character um jack joyce um who is uh, they had previously revealed a main character when they revealed the game in 2013 they changed that up otherwise the shape of the game seemed similar but it had this all-star cast attached to it an interesting one in the sense that it has tv episodes in in there that change based on choices in the game however they are the TV episodes are quite a tough watch, I would say. And mm. even though the game is mechanically not bad, it's 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 all right. Like um, it's it maybe feels like a bit. It's the whole thing is kind of like a little bit lukewarm, despite having some of the kind of like weird and cool remedy energy, some amazing looking environments and set pieces and things you would typically associate with remedy. But like the thing, the TV show aspect is just such a drags the whole thing down a little bit and it's quite quite hard viewing and just takes you out of the game experience itself it's a bit of a an interesting but failed experiment is that a fair way to describe quantum break simon i think so yeah i i i do think it's their worst game but i still think it's pretty good i think there's a lot of redeemable stuff in there i i kind of like in many ways i like they've always had these cinematic aspirations i like like this is their tenet like it's an ambitious time travel story that kind of has a similar to it that just falls short but i still kind of appreciate the audacity of it they kind of did tenant before christopher nolan is is my i finally got managed to find a platform for this opinion because i wasn't going to write a whole article on ign about (laughs) how quantum break is tenant but uh, i finally got to get it out i do think the game itself is quite good the game parts i do find the ability is quite fun 
the shooting I do think is quite solid. Like it is a step up from Alan Wake. It does vary it and give you some new stuff. And like you said, some like truly eye catching levels. Like there's a bit where like this whole like shipyard is bending like in on yourself, very like inception like again, like you can see the Nolan influence and the section on the bridge where like time just freezes and everything's like falling around you, like still looks like incredible and it's what seven years old, like amazing. And I just think that unfortunately the tv show sections are just chronically bad and it just lets it down and i think a big part of this is like it was it doesn't it just doesn't feel like remedy and the problem is like, i think all these tv episodes they were shot out in america they shot out in la whereas like from here onwards the control and alan wait two live sections are all shot in-house in finland and like they were managed they kept their vibe going whereas these like the tv show the aesthetics just don't match like mm. what you're seeing in the game doesn't look like what had, you're seeing in the show, and it, had it just big looks web series energy. Yeah, it's like like a real <laughs> like cheap version of Twenty Four is what you're getting really, and mm. like there's some really weird moments. I listed a couple. So I only I played this like three weeks ago. I had a week off, so I thought, well, why don't I replay out Quantum Break? Um, <laughs> so I did that, including watching all the TV shows, which I don't think the streaming service works for anymore, so I had to download 90 gigabytes of television uh, <laughs> on my Xbox for this. There's like a security man who gets very angry that his egg is runny in his bacon roll. That, like, that's just not like a... Uh, it's just not fun. And like, there's a weird bit where like they're just at a party and he points, he's like talking to a woman, he points at two very just normal looking men and goes, oh, wonder what Gosling and Clooney are speaking about over there. I was just like, well, what is this? This doesn't feel like it's written by Remedy. And it just, it just feels weird. And it just makes me want to go back to the Sean Ashmore part of it because he's barely in the TV show. And... Mm. Yeah, I do think there's a good game in there, but it's probably only about six out five, six hours worth of game once you take out all the TV stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I do appreciate it, even though I know it's it's deeply flawed. The, yeah. the really weird thing with the live action series, the live action episode component, is at least how I remember it was that it was basically the story of another bloke about how he became like a mini boss that you fight yeah. in an in an actual level, and then you like kill him in ten seconds, and you're just like, oh, right. it's him. <laughs> It's like yeah. Abs- yeah, it's like an absolute nothing. I don't know if they thought this was going to be this big sort of dramatic coup. Of we've told the story of this enemy, so you're gonna, you know, it's it's gonna really hit you hard when you have to fight him because not at all. Like it barely registered that that's what was happening. You know. Yeah, it, you know, it massively reminded me of that joke in Austin Powers about the henchman who gets killed, and then like the bit with his family, like the kind of like cutaway. Like yeah. it's like that in sort of reverse. Like a Why whole did TV he have show to join Doctor Evil's <laughs> evil henchman army? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that, but yeah. I do really enjoy the the look of it. And like some of the enemy designs are really cool, how they have their own sort of time shifting powers and you can see a lot of the basis control in that, I think. Even like the colours and the red and like the way they move and float sometimes is very control like. My big problem with this was I thought it felt like I thought there were three components to the games that felt like they'd been made by different teams. I thought you had mm. the live action series, I thought you had the the kind of puzzle exploration narrative bits, and then you had combat sections, and there was like no relationship between them. Like the combat, you could have removed it, or you could have removed the narrative bits and just had the combat. You know, like the the combat's fine; it's very flashy, it looks great. It you know, it, it, again, like Alan Wake, it it kind of looks snazzy, and that that carries it. You know, for the length of game it has, but. I swear, at interviews at the time, they talked about the struggles of not really knowing what the the kind of action component of the game was, and they basically, 
you know, one of the one of their big gameplay head guy had left and then came back. I think he was on the Battlefield team for a while, and he basically came back to like come up with the combat system for the game, and it really felt like that. It was kind of like you can imagine that game without the fifteen combat scenes it has. And like, um, like I suppose to it, like Alan makes a bit clumsy in his combat, but it kind of fits the character because he's not trained. Like Max Payne, it makes sense he can do all this because he's a trained yeah. New York cop. Whereas like just Sean Ashmore is just this dude who turns up and suddenly he's like a crack shot and like he's just like it doesn't really yeah. make sense of like yeah it, it doesn't just, all tie I, together yeah i know particularly going into like you know we're gonna get to control in a moment but when they went into control i felt like oh this this feels like they knew what this whole game was from the outset like it mm. really it felt quite complete to me um where this i i just this felt like a we can never make a game like this again moment for for remedy mm. Yeah, it's just such an unusual product of its time, the TV show element in particular, of just, you know, that that being like a concern for a hot minute, and this is the only yeah. like, artifact of that. And, yeah, it also doesn't help that it launches in, like, basically, like, the death death period of Xbox One, like, 2016. Yeah, I mean, this, this was our big... F- I remember this being, like, one of the big first-party games when I was editing OXM, so we had to, like, really go heavy on it, but it just, like... It just wasn't doing the numbers. Like no one was interested when we put it on the cover, and you were like, "Oh, this is gonna be bad." Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, like uh, I sort of, it's a, it really just feels quite turbulent. You can just sort of see, like you say, like just it doesn't quite cohere, Matthew. I think that's the right way to put it. Yeah, um, but, but I, 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 to, on Simon's point, I do agree that like I actually think as a time travel story, it's not bad. Like I actually quite like it as a bit of science fiction. I almost wish they could just focus on. Like the in-game cutscenes, where it's got digital actors, are so impressive. You just didn't need to do that live-action stuff, you Absolutely know. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that was gonna be my last question, actually, Simon. As someone who's uh, who's played this very recently, do you think you can just skip the TV episodes outright <sighs> and enjoy the game? I don't. You could enjoy the game. You'd be. I mean, you'd you'd lose that great build-up to that mini boss who you don't care about. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you would be a bit lost because there are characters who are just like they'd be in it for like minute amount of time in the game you're like who is this doctor that i'm trying to protect because she's in the live action for 20 minutes before that and that's where you learn what she's really doing and stuff like that like it is like i didn't try playing it by skipping it but at the same time i couldn't wait for those episodes to end so i did consider it but um, <laughs> yeah i i feel like you could just enjoy it as an action game and you could get a decent time travel story out of it because the crux of it is in the game but yeah, you, I'd say you'd lose some of the personal connection, but they kind of fail at building that. So yeah, you could probably do it. Really, just really interesting is like because logistically it must have been so hard because obviously making a game takes a lot longer than making a TV show. So the idea of having to like plan ahead on that, I can't imagine how complicated that must have been. But at the same time, it's nice to see that someone did this once. Like, what would happen if you mm. did have the budget to make you know some kind of like transmedia project like this? It's you, you can see it. You can see there's a reason that. You know, game stories make sense when they're told inside the games themselves. So, uh, yeah, um, I consider this a yeah an interesting partial failure, I guess. Um, okay, let's move on to 2019's Control then. So, kind of like a new weird game set in a big, um, big spooky office building, the FB, <laughs> FBC's um, old house uh, building. Really kind of interesting setting. I think setting was a huge part of the appeal of this one. And you have a bunch of sort of like telekinetic style um, style powers. I think as Matthew, as you were alluding to, like the gameplay is put front and center here. I think setting is a huge part of it. Like I don't actually, um, the story, 
I think I found the story interesting rather than like maybe as riveting as some of the previous Remedy games um, mm-hmm. stories had been. Uh, Matthew, what's your take on Control? I, I liked it a lot at the time. I th- like I say, a big step up mechanically. I, f- I felt the actual kind of like power curve and development of the character a bit more interesting. I really love the powers. I've, I've seen some people were a little down on this after the fact of that you know it can be quite simplistic like it can be a game where you just throw filing cabinets at people (laughs) and over and over again and that's a very valid tactic which kind of undermines the action but in the moment it feels very exciting for that that first playthrough of kind of getting these new powers and then suddenly you're flying around and you really tear up these environments like all the crumbling rocket you know it ticks the the kind of the, the tech side of it it ticks the kind of visual spectacle which i think is is one of the hallmarks of remedy i agree with you on the central storyline not really doing it for me but i did like the the more branching structure of like side missions i really liked the objects of power no the Mm-hmm. I think they are. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Yeah, the the, the the kind of side missions that took you into the the work that the, the the bureau was doing, and you know you end up having boss fights against like the fridge or like a weird lamp or whatever, and the kind of puzzle rooms. I thought I thought they they brought a bit more of the storytelling into the into the action, like the stuff you were doing and the environments you were in. There was a bit more environmental storytelling and. I, I thought that worked. I couldn't actually tell you what happened in the main story. Like, it was something about a, a, a man in a box, um, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. yeah, one thing I was going to say, I should correct myself. It's not old house, it's oldest house. I fucked it there, so uh, I apologise for that. Oh, that's all right. Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I liked it. I, I, weirdly, like I felt like it was... It has a bit of Metroid structure to it, which, mm. which I always like, but um, I didn't think it completely landed it. I... I this is a really minor nerdy complaint, but it had a lot of randomized loot. So you'd, you'd find like a secret chest and you'd opened it and it would have like generic crafting materials or like a randomized mod for your weapon, which is not very satisfying in a Metroid game. You know, like it didn't, it didn't feel like I, I was kind of, you know, getting, it's not the same as a health tank or a missile upgrade. You know, it, it felt um, a little kind of impermanent in a way, but um, that minor complaint aside, I thought this was pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, there's some amazing spectacle in there as well. Like the uh, the, I think it's the former boss, like the big spidery monster thing with a giant eye. That's just like mm. quite an amazing thing you have to go and see in this game. Um, but Simon, what about you? What's your relationship to Control? Um, I, I I adore this game. Like this is, but it's between this and Max Payne Two is my favorite Remedy game. Mm. And I think mm. Max Payne Two is still my favorite. I think, but this is their most complete game to date. Mm. Uh, Alan Wake Two aside, haven't played enough of it to to say that. But I'd agree. I do think it's a landing of that core story away from being a masterpiece in my eyes like it just doesn't Mm. land that story it's kind of trying to make you feel about jesse and her brother and that kind of it just kind of confuses itself a little it gets a little bit tangled in i just find the world and the weirdness of control and what's going on in that building more interesting than i do the main characters i think that's the problem Mm. and I just I do really enjoy that like new weird version of like the X Files essentially is what we're getting and I also think like you said it does borrow smartly from other genres like mm. does have that Metroidvania structure which I do think it mostly pulls off by agree yeah the loot is like not every game needs crafting 
Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. This one definitely didn't. Um, but it also has like the Souls-like elements of the checkpoints and the enemies coming back. But also, I think the most impressive thing about this game is its combat and like that almost like Doom-like nature to combat, where like attack mm. is the best form of defense. Like you cannot heal unless you attack. Like so, you get health back by damaging enemies, and they drop these like blue cubes essentially, which is what is health. So you need to go on the. You can't just like it is like the antithesis of a cover shooter which is what i love about it like it just wants you to be constantly moving like it is frantic in the best way possible like mm. I, I love the combat in this game so much like i would agree it's still like the best and i i, I enjoyed jedi survivor quite a lot didn't like fall in order a bit really but quite enjoyed the sequel but this is still like the best force powers in a game i think we've had um <laughs> and it just feels it just feels so good and I can't wait to see what they do in Control 2. We've already got it, like, Control bleeding into Alan Wake 2 in ways, but I feel like... And it still looks incredible. Like, yeah, I just... I can't really heap enough praise on Control. I think it's... Mm. It's it's near... Near a masterpiece, but not quite there. There's some very cool remedy sort of, like, trademarks in there as well, like the uh, Ocean View Motel. Just mm. the, the kind of notion of that and the dream logic it operates on. Just, like... That's just a really, you know, great sort of remedy touch. I don't think that's something you would encounter in other games, and it just, um, it really worked for me. Again, some of the side characters very effective. Use of um, live action in the game also very effective. I think they, like you say, Simon, they even if you don't necessarily think the main narrative lands, they do a great job of creating that context and that setting yeah. by with, with different various in-game materials. So, yeah, um, I think oh, I also get the impression that it was a game that was a bit of a slow burn success like maybe it just did okay in quite a competitive 2019 window then loads of people played on game pass or ps plus and there was another version that came out um you know obviously for next gen consoles so uh, i think people maybe discovered it like the next year and it was a big pandemic play for a lot of people it certainly was for me so um mm. yeah please they get to have another shot at it okay we move on to alan wake 2 then 2023 so here we are, Remedy get to return to uh, one of their, what seems like a, a personal favourite for a lot of people at that studio. So, Simon, what is mm. the deal with this? And, and talk about your time playing it. <laughs> what is the deal with it? It is Alan Wake. It's a sequel to Alan Wake. Um, but no, it's much more, this is there, and I think they said this from when they first revealed it, this is Remedy's first full-fledged like dive into survival horror. And you can tell that instantly, really, from playing it. I kind of want to be careful about this, because they've done a lot of marketing around it, like, it can tell from looking at it they're heavily influenced by resident evil and the more importantly like the more recent resident evil the remakes and like that over the shoulder perspective and the combat is very resident evil but this isn't a resident evil. like don't go into this game expecting a lot of action because mm. the first hour of this game you don't fire a bullet it is very much tone saying it is as much a game trying to be true detective as it is a game trying to be resident evil and that's mm. what i love about it i do worry it will turn a lot of people off who are like oh i thought this was a horror game with like zombie monsters whereas in fact the first hour i'm walking around a forest looking for clues and stuff like that so that's why i the sense of tone in this game like i don't i think remedy are kind of unmatched in that kind of creating that sense of place and a world where just weirdness is like commonplace and there's just so much weirdness in alan wake 2 they're continuing that twin peaks vibe but definitely more in a horror way with the alan wake side of it so you've got dual protagonists in alan wake 2 so right 
it's not just Alan Wake. He is Alan Wake himself is trapped, still trapped in the dark place, like he is at the end of Alan Wake One. But this dark place kind of takes the image of a really like taxi driver like horror version of New York, where the shadows are walking around, and it's much that side of the game is much more tense. It is much more Resident Evil like, and I haven't seen as much of that side of the game yet. I've spent much right. more time with Saga, who is the new protagonist, who is essentially a detective come to town to bright falls to investigate some like ritualistic cult killings that are very true detective season one and her elements do have combat but they are much more detective and like case board based so you're like moving around clues talking to people there is almost a bit of point and click nature to it and resident evil have puzzles but these puzzles are kind of a step above the simplicity of resident evil i think and right i'm from what i've played i've played like the first one three to four hours so i've seen a bit of both sides i just i can't wait to play more i'd i'd i would love to have finished the game by the time we're talking here but um to have a complete sense of it but from what i've played so far like it's it's exactly what i would want from this game i don't know the remedy connected universe of it always very interesting too you mentioned like the janitor for control like in an early mission of alan wake 2 he pops up he's just doing karaoke in a local finnish bar in in alan wake 2 so you're kind of like oh so they are going full like blending here it's not just like little notes on walls anymore that are like easter eggs this is a full Mm. blending of his universe one of the agents from the sbc like turns up in alan wake 2 so they're fully like blending these stories but there's also weird like they're still doing the weird nods to other games that aren't in this remedy connected universe like sean ashmore is in alan wake 2 and he plays a character called Tim Breaker, which is just like right. Time Breaker. Like they're fully just laughing at. I don't know if they're mm. laughing at us or just laughing at themselves. That's like some Kojima bullshit. I know, but like I kind of appreciate. It. It's just like they could have called him. In, and to be fair, Sheriff Breaker is a character from the original Alan Wake, so Breaker was already an established right. like family name in this. But the fact they called him Tim, it's like you went <laughs> as close to time as you could there, didn't you? Yeah. I just, I do love it, and yeah. Who knows? The the last like this is a, the longest game today. I think it's like fifteen to twenty hours, which is right. quite long for a horror game. Yeah. The only worry I have about this game is how do they? That's the problem of the original Alan Wake, right? It didn't develop that combat or that gameplay in significant ways. Like, what have they got up their sleeve? Like, I've heard rumors of some very weird stuff, like control level ashtray maze level sort of stuff going on in this which is what i want to see so i'm hoping that's where these sort of things happen that mix it up but Mm. yeah my only worry is i just i never really doubt remedy yet but my worry is how do they evolve it over that stretch of time by the time this podcast out reviews will be out and we'll know probably yeah (laughs) but um that's what i'm thinking about at the moment the thing I'm I'm kind of curious about and and probably hard to get a read on this from the amount you've played mm. is like I like David Lynch stuff but I'm less into really like dreamy or like nightmare yeah. logic stuff like that isn't that isn't I I I'm I'm not into like super sort of ambiguous horror you know I I like mm-hmm. I like things to have quite a clear finite ending and like the end of Alan Wake one takes you into like well, this is gonna, you know, this is we're in kind of like weirdo realm now, and things are all gonna be very strange. And definitely, in what they've shown of it so far, the idea of the saga campaign is maybe a bit more grounded. Is that mm-hmm. right? Is that... I think that's fair. Yeah, it definitely has some weird stuff, but that's definitely like Debbie Mopey said. It is very true. Said it's very seven. Like they've always had this sort of Fincher influence. I think in all their games, like even the original Max Payne, like he's wearing Brad Pitt's clothes basically from Seven. Right. So yeah. like. 
it still ha- it does have that sort of like Max Payne noir sensibility right. to it as well, which I really like. It is less like you do visit Bright Falls and there's some very Twin Peaksy characters there, but so far it does feel more towards the Stephen King true detective like noir okay, Fincher is... sort of side than it does. Yeah the lynch sort of side to things i just want it to have a proper ending you know i don't want them to get to get pulled too deep into this connected universe that it just becomes like a stepping stone to something else i know what you mean it doesn't want to yeah you don't want this to be a tease for control 2 and then control 2 is a tease for alan wake 3 and so on so yeah that's my only fear from this talk but you know they've been doing this connected universe stuff years before they formally named it so Mm. you know i'm I'm confident they're not gonna like shit the bed but um i can't wait to play more i just it just and like i said before like this is until you like play i think at home like on a screen like not just watching it through youtube so you understand just how stunning this game is to to look at is unbelievable like when we were there in the studio they had a lot of work to do but they were like even like the minutest details like making sure that there's a little like mole or bump on alan wake's face making sure that had the correct shadow like on his face so like a mole was creating a shadow on his face like no one is zooming in that closely to see that but they're just (laughs) they're kind of like perfectionists in that way and i just hope like you said they've been working up to the wire i hope for them that it launches in a good state and a finished state because i think it'd be such a shame if if it didn't yeah yeah i think what is interesting is to me it feels like they've been positioning it as the ultimate remedy game and the fact they have epic mega bucks behind them would suggest they have the resources to make their most complete game yet. Like I think, um, I think it is fair to say that Control is the whole package in a lot of ways. I think it, it's maybe like not massively expansive. You do go to the same few places over and over again. I think it's one one way you maybe see the restrictions in Control. Whereas this kind of feels like they're they're just a, it's a little bit remedy unleashed with the way they're sort of positioning it and not you know the connected universe element is one thing but it's just yeah it's just how it looks how mm. it's been presented in so far and the fact that it's as long as you say simon that's that's yeah that i mean it just feels like there's this maybe there may be positioning this as this is our ultimate masterpiece in a lot of ways you know this is mm-hmm. accumulates everything we've done to date i think sam lake kind of sees it in that way but like, i feel he connects most to alan wake as a character from speaking to him that's like his baby is alan wake despite max Payne being the game and the character that made their name alan wake's the one he relates to maybe it's because he's a writer i don't know this is the one i feel like there was always unfinished business with alan wake one for one reason or the other and they're finally doing what they want with this one and yeah it's all very exciting okay great well the last thing i was going to discuss very briefly then is what they're working on next they you know remedy seems like they're always in demand and they've had a few projects they've they've announced and have been bubbling away in the background for a little while now a Max Payne 1 and 2 compilation that's mm. a ground-up redo. Uh, they're hiring a narrative director for that. I just saw on their website suggesting it'll be more elaborately presented than just comic panel cutscenes, you might expect, after um, two decades since the last um, since Max Payne 2 released. But that's, that's quite an interesting prospect. I assume that's what the Alan Wake 2 team will, will default, default onto after this. I mean, that's just a guess, but I'm just really intrigued by the idea of them revisiting the game that made their name. Do you have any thoughts on them doing that, Simon? Um, yeah, I, mean, I can't wait. Despite playing both 1 and 2 recently, and saying they still look great and they play great, just thinking those stories in a new with a new lick of paint. Playing Max Payne 1 and 2 with Alan Wake 2 graphics, would, I just can't wait for that. And like even got a <laughs> glimpse of that Alex Casey as a character in 
Alan Wake, who is mm. played the voice is James McCaffrey and the face is Sam Lake, wearing Max Payne clothes in Alan Wake 2, you've basically got a sneak peek of what Max Payne will look like in that engine. And yeah, I I, I can't wait for those. And yeah, not much yeah. more to say about that. I, I, but I also think they might do interesting like the Resi remakes have done, like occasionally throwing a curveball your way and not one-to-one remaking. They, they're they such a creative studio. I think, wouldn't that bore them just to do a straight remake when they want to mix it up and like do something narratively interesting? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. have any info there, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't just maybe Max Payne 1 and then 2 in an order. Maybe they remix it in some weird way. But right. with time, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I think the key thing is as well, and I may have said this on a Max Payne episode, so apologies if I did, is is that the specific type of shooting that these games did and that kind of action doesn't really exist anymore. So they haven't mm. actually been bettered. So that is like one string to its bow. Is that I think this the if they keep the gameplay mechanics even vaguely similar, which I assume they will, they'll end up feeling quite fresh to a modern audience, I think, because you're just not seeing other shooters really doing this now. So that's one thing. Matthew, any thoughts on on this? I'm curious about, like, the rock star of it all, if there's any pressure to bring it a little bit more in line with Max Payne 3, perhaps. That added some stuff to the formula, had some slow-motion set piece, and you're, like, hanging from a hook or something, shooting, like, 20 guys in the head. You could bring it more in line with that. Hopefully, it'll go much beyond what they did in Max Payne 3. Okay, so they're also making a straight sequel to Control, which is interesting, so Control 2. Uh, Simon, I'm guessing this is a huge deal for you as yeah. someone who loved that original. I can't wait. And I think the beauty of, and it's not something they fully explored with Control 1, is that it takes place in this oldest house building, which is on the surface just this brutalist building, right? But it can transport you, in theory, to anywhere. And they kind of they delve into that a little bit with the first one, but it didn't really explore that. So that's kind of the exciting thing I have about Control 2, is like broadening outside of that building, especially now with Alan Wake 2, they've you know admitted the fbc are out there in the world investigating things like what if it was just like a chapterized like full-on x-files like monster of the week sort of thing with a through line that is kind of what i want from that anyway (laughs) oh that's cool Uh, so another thing they've got in the works is vanguard a co-op game with narrative at its core i don't think much else is really known about this but it was revealed two years ago as a, a partnership with tencent i think so Kind of curious to see what that what that's like if you what you do when you have to present the remedy style narrative, but it's it's played in co op. I think there's a a big appetite for this kind of game just based on how people enjoyed a way out and it takes two the mm-hmm. games from that that studio. So yeah, like uh, curious to see the the take there. But there's probably not much more to say because we don't know much more about it. Mm-hmm. But I assume that's I assume that is the next thing we'll hear about from them just based on the timelines of that but uh, who knows there's also a control multiplayer spin-off codenamed condor again very little known about that i'm not sure if there are any plans of that have changed um since uh, control 2 was announced because you think maybe they'd roll it into one but who knows what the deal is there so uh Ooh. yeah okay interesting uh, future ahead um for remedy and uh, yeah i can't wait to play alan wake 2 um it does look incredible the pc system requirements have spooked <laughs> me the fuck They're out absurd, like, aren't they <laughs> they are yeah like it does have some nice like sort of like mist and smoke effects and light lighting effects and stuff i'm like yeah am i gonna am i gonna play this at like 480p with my gtx 1080 ti that feels wrong somehow but yeah um thank you so much for joining us in this episode simon oh, yeah, and, thank uh, you i had a great time yeah yeah it's been a pleasure having you so where can people catch you on social media uh i am on are we calling it twitter or x what are we calling it i'm still I prefer it twitter twi- still yeah twitter twitter's good isn't it uh at cardi simon 
Uh, it's just my name, but reversed. Clever, isn't it? I'll come up with that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's pretty much. And the IGN UK podcast, if you want more nonsense, you know, check that out. Rival podcast, why not promote that? <laughs> uh, and yeah, just on IGN. Yeah, good well, stuff. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'll look, if I, look out for more of your writing. You've, so you've done Spider-Man and God of War Ragnarok, right? Have you become like the go-to Sony I guy did Forbidden IGN? West as well. Yeah, I've kind of like, yeah, kind of come the default if it's a PlayStation big game. Not any through great design, I think. But yeah, those are my sort of games anyway. So yeah, it makes sense for me to uh, to do them. I don't know what's up next, but we'll see. I look forward to your Hell Divers too. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Okay, awesome. So um, Matthew, where can people catch you on social media? Uh, I am on Twitter at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto and Blue Sky at Mr. Basil Pesto, no underscore. Awesome. I'm Sammy W. Roberts on Twitter and Blue Sky. The podcast is at BackpagePod on both as well. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash BackpagePod if you'd like more episodes each month. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya.